welcome to the More Than Music podcast with your hosts Thibaut Duchesne and Chris Snellgrove. In each episode, we will discuss what sparked our guests' passion and what continues to motivate them to live a dedicated life to the arts. The often overlooked reality is that genuinely dedicating oneself to one's art is not all about the euphoric moments of creation and expression. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the More Than Music podcast, episode number four. Our guest today is Todd Hennig. He is the drummer extraordinaire who has been around for literally ever. Um, he's been the drummer for Seven Years War, Execute, Heckle, Death by Stereo, Nations of Fire, Great Collapse. He recorded the song with Suicidal, and he had the honor and probably terrifying privilege of being the drummer for Brooks, Back- Brooks Wackerman's band, Kidneys. Uh, I met Todd in... What's that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was like, I met Todd in Burlington, Vermont in the early mid nineties. It shows at two, four, two Maine, And we've been friends ever since in those days, he was extremely straight edge and even had a Volkswagen with the word straight edge and decals across the front windshield. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went out to California, he just happened to be out there recording with heckle and we cruised around in a 62 Dodge dart that a friend of mine loaned me. He lived in LA for many years and currently lives just outside of Portland with his wife, Lindsay and his, their two awesome daughters. He has a solid side hustle called 2020 Woodworks, where he makes top quality custom furniture. And we just found out that he has just started a new job. Todd, welcome to the program. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me, gents. <laughs> it's our absolute pleasure. <laughs> um, so really, the, the purpose of the show, more than music, is to kind of, I think, go through your history uh, from uh, that VW van back in Burlington yeah. all the way till now and the choices you had to make. Uh, and how do you balance, you know, those creative endeavors from music to the furniture that you're making to your obligations as a, a father, as a husband, uh, and what life demands of us, you know, there are still bills sure. to be paid and how to balance the two so that, uh, your own creativity and your own kind of passion for what you do stays alive. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I often think about how it, uh, in my history, in the past, little decisions I made either haphazardly or, you know, some of them that I belabored over made such a big impact on my life and how, you know, my life would have taken a diff- totally different turn if I hadn't made some of them, some of them, you know, taking certain gigs that I didn't think would even, you know, even amount to anything just because I liked the guys or, um, things like that. So it's, it's been an interesting journey and it definitely, um, life keeps throwing me those decisions constantly, you know, even <laughs> now, and they get, they get more and more intense, you know, now with a family, um, because I didn't really care if I was broke, you know, back in the day, I could find ways to get by. Um, yeah, but now it's like, you know, if I, it, my biggest fear, honestly, is like making my wife or my kids kind of suffer or, or do without because of decisions I've made, you know, to whether they be with music or anything. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, I think. Um, and I like, I like what you guys are doing <laughs> for that reason. It's a lot of, you don't really hear as much about it, you know, as yeah. you do like, Oh, I got the call to be in this great band and there, it was the easiest decision ever. It's more like, yeah, totally. <laughs> what if you don't get that call and music's, you know, the biggest thing in your life, but you also have other big things in your life now that you have to make room for. But that so, being said, you met your wife and you have your family because of music. 
that's correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. you, you make these decisions and you just, like you said, you don't know where it's going to go, but yeah. it brought you the best things in your life. Yeah. And I think, I think the biggest, the biggest turning point for me, which was a hard turning point. Um, I made one last kind of shot at, you know, quote unquote, making it in the music industry with, with nations of fire. And, you know, we were doing, um, showcases for huge labels like Warner brothers and, we got a publishing deal and things like that. And I thought, Hey, this could, this could be the best of everything. This could be my full time job and, you know, my passion. And I, I after that, it kind of all fell through and, and simmered down and kind of just made the decision like, okay, music's not going to be my living for the foreseeable future, but I can't let go of it because it's so ingrained in me and such a part of me. And, and, but, you know, my biggest passion really. So, how am I going to do this and make it work and still play music? Because I ha it's almost like beyond it's beyond the fact that I want to play it. It's like, I have to play it or else I'm a miserable person. So um, I kind of made the decision like, okay, well, it's not going to be my living. I got to find another way yeah. because I can't, I can't let go of it. And I feel like I owe it to myself at least to, to keep writing and recording, maybe not touring quite as much, but it's got to be happening in the background. Cause that's what excites me, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what drives me. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the point of the show of the cost and the benefit, you know I mean? If you don't play music, you're going to be miserable and that misery is going to yeah. transfer to your family, but yet there's yeah. also a cost to it. You know, like if you have to go on tour, you're away from your family, there's a lot. So it's, it's that balance, yeah. finding that balance between the two that I think is kind of one of the focus of the show. Yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of like a, um, taking those leaps. Like I know if I say yes to a tour that, you know, I'll make a little bit of money, but probably not as much as I would if I were home working in most cases. And I know I'm going to miss my kids to death, but I also know once I get out there, if I just let go, I'm going to like love every second of it. And I think Absolutely. what used to be like, Oh, I have to go to Europe again. And I'd be kind of like bitter and miserable about it. Now it's more like I'm stoked. I'm going to Europe and I'm going to enjoy every second I'm there for every reason for, you know, tourism, like music before it was like, I had to be there and I didn't always want to be. So that, that was kind of the shift. Like I, I went from doing tours because I felt like I had to, then I reevaluated and I'm like, okay, this is what I love to do. I get to hang out with my friends. And when I started not depending on music for my living, I, I, I had a whole new outlook on it. It was more like, I'm just doing this cause I love it. And I want to hang out with my friends and if we make some money, great. And if we don't, I'm going to go into it thinking we won't and enjoying it for all of the other important reasons that you should enjoy it for, totally. you know, and yeah. that was a shift, you know, once I made that decision in my mind, it was hard, you know, because my first, fortunately through music, I got my first, you know, job in, uh, in digital content at MySpace when it like MySpace was like at the height of popularity, um, and the singer of Heckle worked there and he kind of got me through the door and I had to kind of like fake my way and <laughs> learn as I went, you know, and, uh, working at MySpace, you know, that they, you know, bands would be coming by all the time. Like Pennywise would come by and I knew those guys and like, it didn't was very awkward. Like didn't MySpace, didn't MySpace release a Pennywise record? They did. I, I think yeah. it was called the fuse that one, I don't know. Um, but it was like, it, it was almost awkward. I didn't feel like I was better than working, but I felt awkward when like bands I knew came by that were still doing 
what they do and they're like oh you're sitting in a cubicle now you should like they tell me a lot of them like you should be out touring why are you working here and it when when i've already made my own mind up and convinced myself that i should be there when somebody says that that i look up to it's it's it tears at your heartstrings it's like oh man are they right maybe i should be touring like maybe i'm wrong and that you know but uh after a while I had to kind of just like get through that, you know? And I think the biggest, the biggest like dichotomy was like, we got this um, publishing deal with nations of fire with EMI and they were in the same building. It was like the MTV building in Santa Monica. And that's also where the Lionsgate entertainment headquarters is, which is where you used and to work. <laughs> I, I worked at Lionsgate yeah. for eight, eight and a half years. But the first few weeks there, I remember I was getting in the elevator and I ran into my two reps from EMI and I'm wearing like a button up shirt and they're, they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, Oh man, do I tell them? Or like, you know, I, I was almost like ashamed, but then I was like, why am I ashamed? Like I have to pay my bills. Like they gave us some money, but it wasn't enough to like not work anymore. You know? So it's like, yeah. I had, I almost had to get over myself, you know, and, and get out of like, get my head out of the LA bubble and just be like, people have to work. People, people do what they have to do to like take care of their, their wives and their families. And, right now this is what i have to do i didn't i didn't get that lucky call to be in that band where i could not work the rest of my life so um but i almost was bitter about it for a long time and and that was why you know i kept running into people and then i was like oh this is so awkward you know like i should be i felt like i should be out there touring like there was some pressure i was putting on myself but it's like maybe i wasn't supposed to be you know maybe i would i, I would have been if i was a better drummer maybe or got the right call or whatever but um Todd, yeah, was there a specific moment in time when you stopped being bitter when you decided that you're like i can't <laughs> do this yeah um i think i took a little break for a little while um after i think the the first nations of fire tour when we went to europe and i i kind of was like oh we didn't make money like I'm getting flack from my wife because I'm over here playing and she's alone for a month and I'm not making any money. I had worked it out to take time off from work, kind of like unpaid. And I think after that tour, I took, they actually went again and I didn't go with them. I said, I can't oh, do this. Really? Like it's going to, it's going to like lead to my divorce and my <laughs> insanity, you know, and I was getting bitter with the guys too. I like almost like they promised me something that they didn't deliver on, but it was all like in my own head. And I think um, after that, I kind of, after taking that tour off, it's kind of hard to see pictures and stuff of my own band with like another drummer. They took my buddy Alex, uh, who plays in Sayason, who's like a great dude and a, and a good drummer. Um, but uh, that was almost, yeah, that was kind of the turning point. I took some time off. I started playing in kidneys with Brooks. Oh, I had been, yeah. but I started doing it more, more frequently. And that was kind of like, feeding my soul so to speak you know it was like oh this is challenging this is really fun sometimes there's like two people at our shows sometimes josh freeze is at our show you know like you never know yeah. <laughs> what was going to happen and it was really fun it was just enough to like kind of keep my beak wet while i was working um and that that's kind of right right then when i decided to be happier and stuff a big part of that for me was was making the decision to get out of la because I think yeah. I'd been there 15 years. Um, my wife liked it for about the first year or so. Cause it's, you know, it's all glitz and glamor. Then it wears off and you're like, Oh, I have to sit in this traffic to go get yeah, but explain, explain why she liked it. Where's she from? 
<laughs> yeah, she's from Calgary. <laughs> so I, I think she wanted to get out of there, period, you know. Yeah. And LA is pretty attractive to most people at first, you know, nice weather, um, pretty people, all that. But I, I think for me, like making the decision with her, we got a studio apartment and we both had really good jobs. And we're like, okay, we're just going to save all our money for like two years, do virtually nothing fun. And then moved to Portland and buy a house because at the time it was, it was very affordable. It still is compared to LA, but it's gone up a lot. So I think once that happened in my head, it was like, okay, I'm letting go and, and just taking that pressure off myself and like, Hey, maybe I'll get in a band up there. Maybe I won't, but like, I'm going to get my head out of LA. And as soon as you like leave the bubble of LA, um, everything for me got like clearer and I got more relaxed and I feel like I, I kind of like got over myself, you know, I don't feel like I ever had an ego or anything, but I put so much pressure on myself to like be this person, this touring drummer that like knows a lot of people, you know, and, and can do tours and get into shows. And, and then it was like, why does any of that matter? Like I have a wife that's rad. I have like, I can play drums whenever. Um, and I'm moving to a place where people I find are a lot more sincere. Um, and I think working in entertainment was feeding into that too. You know, working at Lionsgate, working at MySpace. I worked at NBC Universal between the two. Um, and you're still kind of stuck in that headspace or you're surrounded by people that are stuck in that headspace, all trying to like do something big, you know? And uh, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm going to move out of here and just get out of that. So when I first came up here, um, I, it was a hard adjustment because I, I almost felt like I was missing out on things for a little bit. Like there weren't as totally. many shows. I didn't, I'd go to shows alone. I didn't know anybody. Um, and you don't see like random celebrities walking down the street like you're used to, you know, it's <laughs> just, it was different. And, and I had all this like crazy, like creative energy and I didn't have a band to play in at, at first. So that's when I started like building things. And it, it was the same kind of, I think, uh, energy that I used for creating drum parts or recording. It was that same kind of satisfaction, like seeing something go from an idea to like, you know, to completion. Um, and then luckily I got a call to, uh, fill in for a band called great collapse. Um, and I, I think the first show was with propaganda and, uh, it was at the glass house in LA or in Pomona. So I learned all those songs. I had just bought my house and the house was a mess. It was a fixer upper. So I learned all those songs and I was right back. Like, this is awesome. I'm, I'm learning all these songs that I liked to do with dudes. I didn't know Thomas yet um, or Joe or any of the guys. I only knew Chris that used to play and reach the sky and rise against and stuff. So as I was learning those songs, I was like, this is awesome. I'm, I'm playing drums. I'm learning songs I like, and I'm going to play a couple shows. And I, I didn't even ask about pay or anything. I was just like, yeah, if you're, if you're willing to fly me down, I'm in, you know, like, yeah, and awesome. then I, <clears throat> I did that. And then, um, the next, I came back up here and then the next group of shows, they asked me to play with them. They were kind of just like, you're our drummer now. Like they didn't even <laughs> really ask me. It just was like such a good fit, you know, personality wise and music wise. And they had Kyle from Comeback Kid was their original drummer. And he he left Comeback Kid and Andy left Great Collapse. And he he moved to like South Africa, I think, to try to do like a vegan food truck idea. Um, (laughs) Sure. And I think I think since he's come back and I think he's in Kelowna now, I want to say doing 
that stuff. He's like cooking. That's like his passion. So um, I, I was lucky enough to come into that project at a good time when, when they needed somebody. And uh, that was kind of my first foray into like playing music for just the enjoyment of it and the passion side of it. And it worked out really well. We did two records. We went to Europe twice. Um, we did a tour with Voice It's Fire. And then we did another handful of shows with like Rise Against and Refused. And we still jam and write. And I think we'll probably do like, you know, we'll probably, sorry, we'll probably do something else. Um, you know, maybe we're talking about maybe like an EP. Some of us just jammed the other, the other day, actually. Cause they're yeah, in I was town. About to say, I just saw that on your Instagram. Everyone yeah. So, and in the meantime, Thomas got really busy with strike anywhere uh, for a year. They were really busy. So they did a record. They did a, a whole bunch of touring. They went to mm-hmm. Australia. So he was kind of like, I want to do great collab stuff, but I, I literally can't like I, he had a job at a law firm um, where his wife works doing kind of like outreach and stuff. Okay. And, uh, and perfect for him. Cause he talked, he can talk to anybody and <laughs> they love him in two seconds. You know, he's like the yeah. nicest guy on the planet. Um, and agree. <laughs> so uh, when he took that year off, lucky for me, death by stereo had stuff lined up and um their drummer plays in the adolescence as well. Okay. And he, he was, he had a lot of stuff lined up with them. So, um, we ended up, uh, I ended up doing two tours with those guys, which was really great. Um, and it was cool. It was just like nostalgic to be back with the same guys, but I, I had this whole new outlook. It was like, Hey, I don't care if the show's big or small or what, or how, you know, how much we agreed on a certain amount of money they pay me. So I could just like pay my bills and that was it. And I was just there to like, I, I was there to try to be the best drummer I could be, make them sound as good as I could and, and hang out with them. And that was like a situation I'd never been in because, you know, usually there's so much pressure. I'd almost get embarrassed if like the show, the, the show turnout was small or, you know, we'd get all down mm-hmm. on ourselves. And this was like, Hey, I'm, I'm just here and I'm enjoying every second of it. And that was like, that's kind of where I've been mm-hmm. since, you know, so I've, I've been, just writing and recording and kind of like, like in, in, uh, the next two months I'm playing some shows out in Bend, Oregon with like this jam band, um, that I'll be playing like Steve Miller and Tom Petty songs and stuff because I just like the guys and I want to play music. And, uh, they're guys I built a whole bunch of furniture for. They work at this mortgage company. Um, so it's like two acoustics, you know, and I'm just like, sure, I'm in. Let's play. Let's play a couple shows. That's awesome. Amazing. You know? <laughs> and it'll be I think it'll be a really good challenge because it's a lot slower and a lot lighter than I'm used to playing. So I've been trying to challenge myself like that. And that's why I like the fill in stuff, too. It's like learning a whole bunch of songs really quick and trying to blend in, but still put your own spin on it. Yeah, totally. I think is a, is a really fun challenge when you pull it off. It's it's kind of scary, but then it's like feels really good if it works, you know um now don't take this the wrong way you are probably one of the best drummers i've ever seen so i'd assume that I'll your stop. F- <laughs> that your fill-in <laughs> abilities are you know dude I, I i'm sure you can play with anybody i don't know i i try it I, it's hard to you have to like fit in personality wise and you never want to step on toes like i don't want to take credit for something that this the band has already built before I came along, you know what I mean? Like, no, of course, if they're doing okay now, it was the same when I got in death by stereo, I was like, well, they've already done a record on epitaph. They have a following. They've had two really great drummers prior to me. 
you know, and I wanted to come in respectfully, but still try to make my own mark, like stylistically and everything. And that's always kind of the challenge, even if you're filling in for, you know, for, for three weeks or something in Europe. Um, I had a tour lined up that the pandemic uh, shut down um, <clears throat> with death by stereo. We were supposed to be in, in, in Europe and we had some great festivals lined up and everything, but yeah, like, like Tivo said, it's really hard now with the kids. Mm-hmm. The first couple of times I went to Europe, we just had one and she was a baby and, you know, she kind of knew, but not really. Now yeah. it's like, I have to sit there and watch them, you know, as I'm pulling away. And it's, it's really, I think it's as hard on me as it is on them. Like, you know, cause we're super tight and because I work from home most of the time, they can burst into the office at any time and hang out and, <laughs> and, uh, so, um, it, it's tough, but I think it's been the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. I think I can say it's just, uh, also come with, you know, it's come with challenges and you learning to put yourself last, you know, when you live alone and you're touring and stuff, you're kind of like the center of your own world, like schedule wise, or you to kind of do whatever you want. You know, you don't have a lot of money, but you, you have that freedom. And then it was like, Oh, now I can do stuff only when, you know, basically like when I'm allowed to, you know, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, that it, my first goal is always to make them happy and I'm trying to like set them up for the future and we spoil them. And like, I always, I want them to have everything they want. So that's why I work so much and so hard and they don't always see that now they're like why do you work so much but it's like well all this stuff you have like has to be paid for so (laughs) you know and my wife's been kind enough to stay home with them uh for the last couple years um so she she's taught them a lot and i think they've all gotten a lot out of that um yeah for sure we do art together and all that kind of stuff so um, but yeah, I think what, what you were saying, like making that decision to just, it was a mental decision. I had to say, okay, I'm switching this off. I'm going to take a break and reevaluate. And I didn't know if I was going to stop playing music almost altogether, or if, if I'd get pulled back in a little bit or what, but I just knew that in order to be seen and have like sort of inner peace and less turmoil, I had to just take that pressure off. And it, yeah. and it, it worked luckily. I wasn't sure if it would, but it definitely took some time. And I definitely, I get depressed about missed opportunities sometimes if I let myself, because it's easy to, you know, yeah. if you're feeling, yeah. if you're feeling vulnerable or down someday <clears throat> and you start thinking about like, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but like there was a time I tried out for the offspring and I got called back and I went and played with them at their space so I was like pretty close. I tried out for social distortion. I tried out for even like face, puddle of mud at a time, like face just to face, face to face. Yeah. And it's like getting close enough to be picked and play with the band, but then not getting it. Mm-hmm. And usually like a friend of mine would get it, which I'd be, it, I'd be so stoked for them. But at the same time, like, yeah. what did I do wrong? You know, it, but you don't know if it's like, now I see it clearly. You don't know if it's, it's not just the playing. It's like, maybe he said something weird. Maybe they're looking for a certain look, you know? They want a dude with a mohawk or whatever. And as, as long as I, <laughs> as much as I always try to convince myself that like image and look doesn't matter, it does big time, you know, like it, it really Especially does. In LA. <laughs> yeah. And I've never like, I've never bowed down to that. So, you know, I, I remember I showed up to the puddle of mud session. I jammed with the band for a couple of days and then I showed up with like the singer and everybody on the final one. And I remember I was wearing brown dickies and like a visor beanie and he was probably like, Who's this clown? You know, like I, <laughs> like I nailed all the parts. I felt the the 
the vibe was killer, like musically. But and I always just I was so naive. I'm like, oh, if, they, if I sound good, they're not gonna care. I'm just the drummer, you know. But I think they really do. They got some guy with like bangs, you know, and <laughs> and and he was probably a great drummer. But like, you know, so I had to let all that stuff go too, you know. And but just for the longest time, I tried out for Serge Tankian's band. And that, you know, I went really well and I'd be like, what did I do wrong? You know, I nailed all the parts and like, but maybe you just aren't the guy, you know? And I, and I used to take it so personally, but now I know, especially being rejected for so many like jobs I've applied to that I feel overqualified for and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you're just not the guy. There was something that just wasn't what they're looking for and you can't like beat yourself up over it. And, but that's, that's hard. I think facing that rejection, especially if you know, you played everything right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Cause that's the, that's the only thing I could ever guarantee myself was like, okay, I'm going to learn this stuff and play it right. Um, but there's something inside you that says, I'm not going to put on bangs or eyeliner, you know, to yeah. kind of fit in and kind of put on the suit, the rock and roll right. suit so I can get the extra push to get the job. You want right. to, there's a part of you that wants to stay yourself. Like if they can't accept me for who I am, then I don't want to be, I don't want to have that part. That's true. Yeah. But you don't always know that right then, you know, when, no, you're that's in, it. when you say it now, I, I complete, I wholeheartedly agree, you know, and it's like, you know, maybe they don't want a guy with a birthmark, like who knows what it is. Like yeah. you're different, you're different looking than everyone else. That's for sure. And I mean, I've looked pretty much the same since like high school, you know, I've gotten whatever, some additional tattoos or gained some weight, but like I haven't changed a lot, you know? And, and, uh, I I'm proud of that, but I think at times it's, you know, it's, it's come into play and affected me, you know, which maybe it's for the better, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to be in the offspring now, but like, I do know that it, I could have done that instead of working at NBC. And I, I, at the time I definitely would have preferred that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, honestly, honestly, I feel like had you changed your personality to join any of these bands eventually, I mean, I say this, but takes with a grain of salt. Your real personality would have come out and potentially somewhere along the lines that may not have worked out anyways. So I agree That's with true. you and I agree with you where it's better to go in and be yourself instead of trying yeah. to pretend to be something you're not for in theory, the rest of your career. Cause then you can't turn it off because exactly then you're locked in. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I've been going at even like job interviews. It's like, I don't want them to think I'm like a suit and tie guy because I'm not going to be later. And they're that, you know, I don't want to have any false pretenses. So I'll tell them like, yeah, I tour once in a while. Like, you know, I work super hard. I I'll knock anything to get me out of the park, but I tour sometimes, you know, I have kids, I have this other business building furniture. I don't want them to think that I'm going to be like just a a company man that like is going to give them my soul you know, where I used to say whatever I had to say to get a job, you know, but now it's like, um, I want, I want to know that, 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 I mean, to an extent, like at Lionsgate, I, I worked down there with them for a year and a half in the office every day, um, before I went remote and I wore long sleeves every day of a year and a half or a jacket. Like no one even knew I had tattoos or anything. And I remember when I, when I got the first, I uh, went on the first tour with Nations of Fire, I was like, I went to the EVP of marketing, like the department head. And I was like, Hey, I'm going on tour for three and a half weeks. And she was like, what do you mean? Like you're in a band, you play music. And I was like, yeah, you just think like people know that about you. Cause you've been doing it your whole life, but they don't. And I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that like, I like to go into a job and not really talk about 
any of that stuff unless someone asks me, you know, because it doesn't have anything to do with the job that I'm doing. You so don't want to like, make work friends? <laughs> yeah, like, well, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm not hiding it, but I, I don't want them to think that, like, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, there's, like, the stigma and drummers are, like, flaky and you, you might do drugs and you might, it's, like, I don't want them to think I'm, like, this flaky musician type that's not going to show up for work. Like, Fair I want them to, I want them to judge my work performance, like, from the work I'm doing and not have any other notions but i have gone in when i went into my interview for lionsgate i remember um that the my my supervisor that hired me and was my boss for about five years she didn't say anything about any of it and then all of a sudden she's like don't piss on my neck and tell me it's raining and they, they started naming off like death by stereo songs they had like <laughs> they had wikipedia me <laughs> and i like i was so caught off guard I mean, i'm wearing like a nice dress shirt and like i'm like what what's happening right now so i just like i just downplayed it but um like tebow said make, making decisions has been it's been crucial and i kind of took the approach with work inside the workplace yes i take my career seriously but i'm not willing to back down on music so like if i get a tour and i feel like i have two weeks vacation but it's a month-long tour I'm not going to ask them if I'm going to go, if I can go, I'll just tell them like, Hey, I'm going to be gone the month of June. How do we need to handle it? It's almost yeah. like, don't give them the option to say, Oh, we can't afford to have you go. It's more like I'm going to go. So like whatever needs to happen, I'll do two weeks unpaid. I'll, I'll train someone to do my job on intern or something while I'm gone. That's been the approach. And that's how I think I've managed at these big companies that don't really, they're not used to dealing with that. Cause the, you know, I didn't yeah, usually course. work with other touring musicians. Um, yeah. They, they, it's more like, this is how it's happening. How do we, how do we make it work? Cause I know we can make it work. I know it's outside the norm, but let's make it, let's figure it out. And that I've never really asked them. I've always just said, I'm going to be gone. Um, and when I, when I first got in death by stereo, I worked at a skate shop called Val surf. And um, I would also do like hardwood floors in between tours. I just really like to be busy and always be working. I don't like to sit around. So I'd come home from some great tour and then I'd be like crawling around on my knees, putting in hardwood floors. Um, yeah. And I why used why to do tell Tebow, tell Tebow who you used to do it with. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, weren't you doing it with Chuck Reagan for a while? Oh, no, no, no. No, I never worked with Chuck. We talked about that kind of stuff, but. Oh, okay. Um, for some reason I thought you did. Chuck rules too. I know he does like, construction and stuff or he used yeah. to at the I time but he was a contractor i think um but yeah Sorry. i i i would just kind of go at val surf i'd play dumb i'd be like oh i got this tour offered to me like sorry i'm gonna have to leave you know where i knew about it for like six months beforehand <laughs> but i just i needed those jobs in between you know to pay the bills and um and uh that's i think that's an important way to do it it's like you're either gonna give up and say okay i need to not work at a regular job because I want to be available for tours and stuff. And that's going to, it's going to be a hustle and it's going to be tough. Money's a lot thinner, I think now too, because you don't make money off records and as much and that kind of thing. Or you just, you, you take a job and you don't tell them and then surprise them, which I was never into that. Or you just, you know, you say, okay, I tour, I'm a drummer, but I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like your best employee, but like, there's going to be times where I'm going to have to leave for a month and we'll work it out. Is that cool with you? You know, and that's kind of like yeah. the approach I've taken. Um, 
because it's really the only, there's not really an easy way, you know, it's kind of like most people are either one or the other, they work or they tour, you know, or touring yeah. their job. As but you know, it's what you're saying. So, you're choosing authenticity. I mean, you're being authentic. You're not putting the eyeliner on. You're not getting the mohawk because yeah. you're sensibly the same person in terms of the way you dress and look uh, for the last 20 some years. My uh, pants are a little tighter, but. That's yeah, fun. that's the weight. <laughs> yeah, because right. you're trying to keep yeah. the belt at the same right. notch. <laughs> at least that's my no, problem. There's no lying there. There's no lying there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like you. Yeah, you have to be. And and I I've always like tried to listen to my gut. If I'm in a situation and I feel weird about it, the decision I'm making, it's probably wrong. You know, and I've always listened to that. And that's how I felt about pretending to be someone I'm not even playing wise, like I'll go in and tell people like, look, I haven't, I haven't really played double bass in like 10 years. Is that going to be a problem? Like I have a quick single bass foot, but like, I don't want them to, I don't want it to come up later and be like, Oh, I have this part. And then be like, you know, caught off guard or weird, you know? So it's like, that's kind of like honesty, I think can bite you in the ass because you, you will miss out on certain gigs and stuff. But I also think the ones you do get are so much more comfortable and you, you forge such, you forge such deeper relationships, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and you, I think you find better success in those, in those opportunities, even though they may be fewer. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, it's also how you define success. Like, like you said, success could, doesn't have to be financial. You right. Know, imagine being on a tour right. with a bunch of guys you fucking hate playing music. You're like, eh, but it's a good paycheck. And you're just like every night, this is the fucking worst. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually, I had other peers that I look up to in, in other big bands tell me flat out, like, I'm so glad you didn't get the offspring gig. Like you would have hated it. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, Oh, that feels a lot better. now, you know, like <laughs> hearing it, you know, I, cause you don't, you don't think about that at the time. You're like, this is it. This is my chance. And it is, it probably would have led to other things and I probably mm-hmm. would be touring full time. But then again, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to have all these great experiences as a dad. And, you know, I really don't want to miss birthdays and Halloweens and stuff, honestly. Like I, and I know that comes with the territory, even super successful guys like Brooks, you know, when he had been in bad religion, like 10 or 11 years and was making a great living. And he used to tell me, it's like, a, it's a double-edged sword. I have twins and I, I miss like all this stuff that you're not going to get another go round at that. You know, it's like, yeah. that's it you know mm-hmm. and i and i i'm not really willing to i'm not really willing to like let that suffer for my own passion but at the same time i think there are ways i've been able to make it work where you know i may only go on tour once a year but i enjoy that tour more than if i was doing five tours a year you know i enjoy every single second of it and yeah, yeah i look at it with a whole new fresh set of eyes you know where i used to be kind of bitter um, and that's been an interesting transition, I think, for me. But like you said, it's also cool that you're getting offers from your old friends and bands that you have been in before and stuff. So you already yeah. know the nature of the relationships. Yeah. So just kind of, it's seamless. It's kind of like picking up where you left off. Yeah. And I think, I think what you were saying in the very beginning of the show, like um, taking, taking opportunities when they're offered you even if it doesn't seem like it, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world or like make or break you, that everything leads to something else. Like if you go into even like the smallest gig and you do really well and make an impression, 
like they're going to keep you in mind, you know, and, and it, it happened with, you know, I was in seven years war, like nobody really knew us. And then Steve came in and played guitar and that led to me playing. He asked me to play in heckle. And then I met, you know, AFI guys and all these other bands. And then that led to Jim being in that. And then that, that led to death by stare. And it all was just like a big spider web of offshoots. You know what I mean? And that it's like this guy back in Vermont who I didn't even know, who was kind of like obnoxious at the time was like, basically like I'm on this tour right now because of seven years war. If I hadn't played seven years war, you know, I might've gotten there some other way, but like, mm -hmm. that's how I got there. And, and I think, uh, I, I would always tell like drummers or, or any musicians, like take, take those opportunities when you can, if, if you're able to, and, um, and try to ex exceed expectations and, uh, you know, you'll be remembered. And uh, one of the other tough things, like when Tebow asked, when I made that transition to like do it for fun and stop trying to do it for a living. The other hard thing I had a really hard time with was when I left LA, I felt, I felt like people didn't have me in mind anymore. I was out of the loop, you know, and mm, I took myself yeah, totally. out of the loop, which it was a, it was a decision I made, but it was still really hard to deal with because I would see all these like new projects come together with, people i'm friends with and i'd be like why did why didn't they think to call me for that like and then you start like getting down on yourself but it's more like well you didn't run into them at this show in la they just yeah. didn't think of you they mm. you know or, or a lot of a lot of guys like now if i go see them at shows in bigger bands they'll be like i'll either get the why aren't you like why aren't you touring you're you're too good to not be touring or something like that or i'll get like Oh, like all that furniture you're making is cool. Like, you know, are you are you doing that now? And it's like they think of me now as like a furniture builder more than a drummer mm, almost. And yeah. that that's weird too, you know. But it's like I did all that myself. So like I own up to it and I'm used to it now. But when I first left LA, I felt really weird pulling myself out of the loop and just not being thought of for certain gigs that I'm pretty sure if I was down there, I would have been. But maybe not, you know, maybe you're just maybe I'm not the guy, like like you said, but um <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough thing to, to get used to too but i it's the best decision i ever made getting out of there at that time i was just starting to be a bitter asshole that i didn't even like myself i got in fights every day driving to work like i just was miserable and um the, the michael douglas here, syndrome yeah it, it's like you almost ha you have to become this this bitter awful human being to get to work because you would never no one's ever going to stop and let you in you know it's like yeah you just have to you have to put on this face like all right i'm going out into the the war zone and <laughs> and uh it's like trying to drive in rome you know like we went to rome. i took my wife to rome and i was like we could sit here all day if i didn't just pull out and cut someone off and yeah totally give them the finger and that that's kind of <laughs> how i felt there it was like that there every day so i was like okay this is like this is not a good place to live if you're commuting to work and you're trying to like buy a house and start it. I would never want to start a family there too, because how would you shield your kids from like all the BS that's floating around the atmosphere? You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like that everything's so skewed and, and, uh, and up here it has its problems too, but it's, it's a much nicer place. It's a much easier place to live. I'll say, you know what I mean? And smaller. So yeah. yeah. But LA is kind of like yeah. this enigma, you know, like it's, yeah if you if you've been there before i mean first time you go it's just kind of overwhelming and cool it's it's like the movies you know but the more time yeah. you spend there you realize like it's there's nothing how do i say this 
it's so hard to find sincerity in yeah. LA, like from a superficial point of view, you know, I've, I've been there a million times, but I've never been there longer than a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And yeah. you just never really break into anything. And any, let's, let's say you did break into like you broke into the punk scene. So once you were into that punk scene, well, that punk scene doesn't talk to the hip hop scene and the hip hop no. scene doesn't talk to the movie scene. It's in its own scene, little like, bubble. Exactly. It's <laughs> and so everyone, weird. And then, and then within that bubble, everyone's in their own little bubble, like yeah. individually. So it's like all these people are trying to accomplish this thing and they're willing to do anything it takes or step on anyone they need to step on. Yeah. But it's like to get to that thing they're trying to get when they get there, there's probably still not going to be any substance. Like they might have a million dollars in the bank, but there are so many unhappy rich people walking around LA. It's like, you know and it's like you know it's like now i i can just go out for a walk around the neighborhood with my daughters and i'm happy but before it had to be like this huge to do you know or i felt like it wasn't worth my time like i became la you know because (laughs) you sit if you're there long enough it like seeps in even when you try even when you're aware of it you still end up like looking back at yourself now you end up becoming sort of like everybody else there you know what i mean in a certain, to a certain extent. And yeah, we spent a ton of time there together and it was awesome. Whenever you would come out, like it was great, you know, like, yeah, totally. Suicidal tattoo shop or like, you know, I remember (laughs) we went to, you took me to see let's go bowling and the the aquabats and the aquabats. And like we slept, whose couch did we sleep on? Was it Johnny two bags or something? Uh, Costa Mesa. No, no. uh, um, Mike Conley. Yeah. Someone gave you their car and like, yeah, exactly. It was just like, that was awesome. But then, yeah. Like when you're, when you're home between tours for a few weeks and you're just going to like have lunch with your friends and and that it's the best place to live ever. It's so fun. But then when you you're there for the duration and you're commuting and you, you know, any idea you have, you want to go for a hike, like 500 other people had that idea. So it's like you fit. I started to feel like suffocated. Like I could never get away from, the heat or like the masses of people or the attitude. So I tried for a while to just laugh at all of it and laugh it off. And that works for a little while. But then even then at a certain extent, you're like, you're at a point you're like, this isn't really working. I'm, I'm like, I'm misdirecting and fooling myself into thinking it's funny and it's not a big deal, but it really was affecting me still, you know? Yeah, totally. But I mean, but I mean, you also lived on, what was the street Gower in Hollywood yeah you know what i mean yeah. like that's crazy i moved from vermont to like the dead center of hollywood my truck <laughs> got stolen if you remember for like five weeks mighty max um yeah and yeah it, it was crazy you know it was a big it was a big transition but i don't regret any of it i loved living there i skateboarded like every night at the time and i i made a lot of friends and and everything but you know when you start to get super bitter, I, I always like to like, I do a lot of self-reflection. You know, I I'm, I'm constantly criticizing myself in every facet of my life, you know, as a dad, as a drummer, as like a business owner. And, uh, I try to constantly make changes to improve myself, you know, and the biggest change I made in the last two decades was just taking myself out of that situation. So I could, Totally. start to be like build happiness, you know, cause I, I was just miserable to be honest. Um, and I think a lot of people are so distracted. They don't notice they're miserable there. Yeah. It's, it's easy to be distracted, but, um, 
if you go away for like a weekend, you're like, wow, I feel so different, you know, <laughs> and you go back and you're like, oh, I hate life again. So, um, you know, Todd, your story reminds me of, um, there's a famous psychiatrist who's still alive today. I think he's like 92. His name is Irvin Yalom. And he had this biography that he came out and the title of the biography was becoming myself. Oh, and really? <laughs> it, it was just a beautiful title. And that, I don't know, I, that resonates with me as I hear you talk, because it's almost as though you're talking about how you've become yourself and just accepted who you are and yeah. what you want. And then you're just kind of communicating to other people, hey, that's what I'm about. I want to do yeah. this job. I'm going to be your guy. I think I can really do a good job. But hey, I got to go on tour for a month and yeah. let's make it work. That's who I am. Yeah. I think part of getting older, you know, and I think that the biggest impact on that side of my life was the kids mm. getting married, getting married changed my life a lot. And it was, it was actually great. And it made me look at things different, you know, differently. That's especially like financially and everything. But then having the kids was like, okay, now I'm like not really thinking about myself at all. And when I do get a little bit of time to reflect on myself, I try to make it count. I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I lose weight or how can I be more efficient at this? Or how can I like improve my skills? And, uh, and it goes across the board with furniture drumming, or, you know, like I said, even being a dad or, you know, Oh, I want to start getting up earlier because I'm missing out on parts of the day. Um, and I, I think I was so distracted and like, you know, I hate to say it, but like up my own ass when I was in LA <laughs> trying to like make it in music, you don't really, you don't even give yourself the time to think about yourself. And when you do, you're like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm touring like everybody else. I'm totally normal. Mm, but it's yeah. like, when you really like, it's scary to like, let your guard down and, and take that time and, you know, sit in a quiet room and think about yourself and be like, well, I don't really like this about myself. I don't like this. And some things I just, don't, I'm not going to be able to change, you know, but other things where I can, I, I'm constantly working on it, you know? And, uh, I think that's a, that's a big part of the journey. And I, I think part of it comes with age, but a lot of it was like becoming a dad. And, you know, that was pretty terrifying as I'm sure, you know, I didn't know anything about kids at all. And I was terrified and, uh, it was, a, it was a huge learning curve, but also like it teaches you so much about yourself, you know, and like, like there are times where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm more selfish than I thought I was like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm trying to like do this, but I should be doing this for my kid. It really, uh, it really helped me like turn some corners. It was like therapy, you know, yeah, big time. <laughs> without big having time. therapy. <laughs> so it's amazing. You know, it, I remember holding my son when he was born. And I was, I was like, what is this? How am yeah. I going to love this person, like, it, you know, because I had the fantasy that, oh, you're just, this is like, you know, the angels are going to sing and you're going to be, oh my God, love. That's not necessarily what I felt. I was just so <laughs> terrified and just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is a yeah. huge, this is not like, uh, oh, you know, three months later, or <laughs> yeah, I'm not like into this it. anymore. This is, yeah, uh, you, can't, you can't quit the project, you know, well, no. you can, dads do, but I mean, I think it, that's, that's what I felt. It was like half was like, Oh my God, this is a miracle happening. It's amazing. What just transpired. Cause I like watched it. Yeah. But then it was like, Holy shit, this, this little creature like is going to count on me for everything for like at least the next like 10, 15, 20 years easily. And then some, yeah. and, and it's like, that's terrifying. Cause I, I've had dogs I've had, you know, I've been, I have a wife, but it's like, 
they can do a little bit for themselves. You can leave your dog alone for five hours with a bowl of food where it's like the kid is like every second. And, uh, totally. Vulnerable. I think that it, that was the scary thing. Like you can get divorced. You can, you know, you can give away your animal to someone else who will take better care of it. But the kid is like that you're bonded to that. And that was, I've never made a commitment that big in my life. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like the biggest feeling. Uh, but then I, I just kind of embraced it, you know, I was like, all right, this is, this is my life now. So I'm going to make it awesome, you know? And, uh, it's been pretty cool. And I get really stoked for other friends of mine. Like Adam just had a second kid from AFI and Dave Haas just had twins. And like, it's like other people I know that are having kids. Um, Tucker from Thursday just had a daughter. I I think it's just really cool. And I get really stoked for him because for me, it was a really great experience and it's been a great ride but that's the also the thing that affected my life the most my entire life especially my schedule and my mm-hmm. time you know mm-hmm. it's like i i'll ask more now like how much time something will take that i'm getting involved with than like how much money it will pay or anything else because that's like the number one i think currency that i'm always short on yeah <laughs> so um uh that's that's the that's the tricky thing but i like you said you get more efficient you make it work like i'm out in the shop late you know at night and on weekends but then i'll go out in the yard and play with the kids in between and um music's probably suffered the most in terms of if i have something i'm getting ready to record or tour with i i'll go work on that and dial it in but just the practicing on my own when i don't have something coming up has really like kind of suffered you know so i definitely feel kind of rusty and uh and I, I'm trying to work on. That's another thing I'm trying to work on. <laughs> <laughs> Just add to the list. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I can't. I can't let that slide. You know, even if it's not my career now, like it still has to be dialed in, and I want to sound the best I can sound. I'll never be as good as I want to be. You know, ever. So, when did you uh, find that you had this passion for music, uh, and how did you get involved in punk rock? I was like. Uh, I started drum lessons in fourth grade on like a pad. Uh, and I just always, I don't know what it was. I always just wanted to be playing drums. And um, my mom said she went to a concert when I was in her womb and she, she claimed, I don't believe her, but she claims that I was kicking to the beat. Of, <laughs> of the music. I don't know. If that's that's a great that's a story. Mom, a mom story. It's kind of fun to think about, but she claims it's true. Um, but yeah, I, I I knew I wanted to play drums always. And I used to play, like everyone says, I used to play with like her Tupperware and her wooden spoons and stuff on the kitchen floor. And then, yeah, I started in fourth grade. I took like, you know, legitimate lessons in school. Um, and then I was in the the concert band and the ja- uh, the marching band. And then you're not supposed to get in the jazz band until ninth grade. And I, I got in a year early, which was cool. So I was, I was playing constantly. I was in jazz, marching concert and then i had my own band i think um by eighth grade we used to play like you know crazy train and you know the songs that everybody plays like metallica and and i just never stopped and then it it went from skateboarding and snowboarding were always like equally big passions but at a certain point it surpassed all that where my friends were trying to get sponsored i was like i don't care i have fun with this but i'm gonna pursue music and uh i just kept going um and then punk rock came about, um, I got into like 
I got into like hardcore as Chris knows first, like more, you know, Snapcase and 108 and all the revelation stuff and the more, more moshy stuff. And I just, uh, just want to cut you off one second here. <clears throat> In our <laughs> lifetime together, I have known two aesthetics for you. One was the coach's windbreaker jacket with the Krishna <laughs> choker. <laughs> and the chin strap. The chin strap. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all right. I had, I had a chin strap too. And then you moved yep. to LA and then all of a sudden you were like Dickies and t-shirts yep. and sweatshirts and nice baseball caps. And that's it. Those are the only two yeah. aesthetics I've ever known for you. I'm guilty of both. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, and headband. I used to wear like headbands, even oh, yeah. that stereo, like tennis headbands. <laughs> but, and I have tribal, I have some tribal tattoo work, you know, I'll own it. Um, but that was the thing. You you wore like a basketball jersey and had a tribal armband, and you were that was the kid I looked up to at the show, you know, and in Connecticut. Like I'm a product of Connecticut, you know, like that's yeah, yeah, in western Massachusetts. Yeah, so like that that was all I listened to for a while. And then I remember I got like I got Operation Ivy on cassette, and that changed everything. I, I like listened to that for a year straight. I remember that was it. And uh, then I, you know, through that, I got through, through like Thrasher magazine, mostly in snowboarding videos. I got into like, I remember like Pennywise, No Use for a Name, um, Strung Out, like Suicide Machines, that kind of stuff. And then when, when Steve recruited me for Heckle from Seven Years War, he's like, I'm like, I can't, I don't know how to play that stuff. You know, their old stuff sounded like kind of old rancid or something like that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I was like, I, he's like, learn how to play fast. We're going on tour. And then they started playing me. He gave me like a good riddance, um, a good riddance record. Well, the first AFI record, I started listening to that stuff and trying to learn how to play fast, you know. And I feel like we played like ninety-five percent of our shows with Ensign, and then the other five percent was like with AFI or Good Riddance. <laughs> so um, no one knew him. You know, we played like thirty people with AFI at the time, but like that got me into punk rock, and then you know. I think the band that changed it the most, you know, it's suicidal, obviously it was like the bridge from like metal and, and hardcore to sort of punk. Yeah. Um, and, uh, bad religion was huge for me. That, that was like, once I heard bad religion, it was like, they were instantly one of my top five favorite bands, you know, and it's still to this day, it's like bad religion, social distortion, but then I'll listen to like Amana Marth or like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, Children of Bodom were like one of my biggest favorite bands and they still are. Um, so I, I kind of go between that and punk and then in between I fill in with like any classic rock you can throw at me. I like it. Like I love Foreigner. I love, <laughs> I love like. <laughs> you, you, you've grown like into Din the Lizzie. dad you were meant to be. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's always, any of that stuff I love. Journey. Like it's just the, yeah. Any, anything. I don't know. That's kind of where I kind of, straddle but um i'd say that the biggest influence to get into punk was like a couple people and and definitely i remember thrasher magazine always featured bands in the back yeah totally and then every snowboard video i had it didn't used to be hip-hop it was like they all had punk rock in them you know and that was like unknown road it was another album i i listened to like for a year straight it was mm-hmm. like you know it was like to at the time for me that was like the perfect record it had melody it had like speed and aggression you know and and a little metallic twinge yeah and i i actually got into classic punk rock later you know like descendants um and like you know anything like that i got into like circle jerks all that stuff i got into like later i kind of started with like 
I guess, more current stuff and went backwards. It was a weird, weird journey for me, but I haven't been the guy to pretend like, oh, I had that record when it came out. Like I just came, I lived in rural Connecticut and I was lucky to get into any of this stuff. You know, I got into Iron Maiden really early, like second grade. Um, but yeah, I, anything that came my way, I liked Fishbone a lot. I remember. Oh yeah. Um, and then obviously when like Tool came out and Primus and all that stuff, I was into that kind of like Lollapalooza scene. Um, but yeah, anything kind of alternative, I, I was stoked on because you know I didn't know any better. Like most of the people in my school listened to like, you know, either like Grateful Dead or like Dave Matthews or Fish, <laughs> you know. So it was like. I, no one ever knew anything that I liked except for a couple other skaters and they knew it for the same reasons, you know, yeah, Beastie totally. Boys, things like that. So. And then, so just for people listening, what prompted the move, like I, what prompted the move to LA? I remember being at the last seven years war show uh, and that's where I met Steve and Chris from Heckle. Yeah. yeah. Chris is um, the bass player. Actually, that's where I met Alex. And Samedra. the band dad. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> Yeah, that's the show I met Alex Savage. Oh, that's right. From Eyeball. Yeah. And like, yeah, dude, 25 years later, he is still one of my best friends. I love that dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember talking to those guys and they were like, yeah, we play this band called Heckle. I was like, cool. And then next thing I knew you were playing with them. And then I think it was probably the yeah. next year you were out in LA recording. Yeah. But you hadn't moved out there yet. So what prompted the move to LA? No, we toured out there to get there to, to, to record. Um, eating like peanut butter and jelly, you know, and we had like zero money. Um, but, uh, first of all, I want to just go back for a second. I met Chris in a parking lot, I think at the underground, maybe, um, waiting at, waiting in underworld. Yeah. Waiting in our van to help us load gear so he could get into the show. That's how I met Chris. (laughs) We've been friends ever since. Um, but anyway, yeah. uh, (laughs) So was I, (laughs) Every time we came up there, it was like the biggest snowstorm of the year. We'd always be driving through the snow. But anyway, yeah. Um, what, well, I knew I kind of had the plan to um, move to L.A. early on when I joined Heckle. And I told them that when I joined. And they were like, that's cool. We're all planning to move out there. I was oh, like, okay. perfect. And this is awesome, you know. Cause we were like, we were a little too melodic for the East coast at the time. And we were a little too heavy for the West coast. Totally. We were always like kind of caught in the middle. So that was the plan I thought. And then we toured out there and we, you know, and then I was that even that cemented it even more. Once I was like recording at West beach and, you know, experiencing what LA had to offer. I was like sold, you know, cause it had the skateboarding, it had great music scene and all that. So when the time came, we went back home. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm packing up my car. I'm going like, when are you guys coming out? They were like, we're not moving. And then they were kind of like bitter at me acting kind of like I quit the band. So I just went, I was like, I'm not, I'm going, this has been my plan. I've said it all along. And I just went and that was it. And they, they claim, they blame me for like heckles stopping, but I think it was, I think it was going to (laughs) anyway. So I don't know that for sure, but I I don't give myself enough credit to think if I leave a band, it's going to break up, you know, they could have gotten someone else um, or I could have kept doing it from the West coast. Uh, But they they taught me it wasn't as easy as now. No, no, not at all. And they they taught me a great deal, uh, both musically and just in general, you know, about, about, 
touring with them was different, you know, cause we actually got like a legitimate, like hopeless was really small at the time, but it was still mm. a legitimate label. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I I've, I've remained friends with all of them, but, um, Steve's the one that got me into my space. So I kind of owe him sort of my career trajectory, at least breaking me into that scene. And then we've remained friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, this year he's like, I wrote a whole bunch of songs and it sounds kind of like heckle and might as well be heckle. So he, he got the guys, he got the, got the old band back together as they say. And we uh, recorded at Paul Miners. I went down oh, cool. in February right before the pandemic hit. And uh, I recorded, I think eight or nine songs. The other guys did like five. So the five songs are coming out June 25th um, digitally everywhere. Cool. And he's already working on more songs. And then we had additional stuff that I already tracked drums for. Um, there are, there are a few more songs. Um, and, uh, Rob, um, do you know who SR is uh, from the transplants and stuff? Skinhead Rob. Yep. He calls himself. <laughs> he, he did, he did the artwork, um, which came out really cool. He does some really dark, like cool artwork. So it came to, came to be this really cool little project. And they, I think they want to try to do some shows and, an additional EP and stuff. So Sweet. I'm kind of stoked. It's, it's really, it's really pissed. It's like more pissed and raw than the old heckle. Um, but it was right in my wheelhouse playing wise. They actually dumbed down some of my stuff. I had written kind of all these crazy parts and I got to the studio and they're like, Oh, take out some of those kick drums and do this <laughs> and that. And we kind of like, we kind of tweaked it on the fly, you know, like sort of produced it as we went Jade from AFI kind of, um, ghost produced it and uh and he had some stuff that was almost like industrial sort of punk beats so they were like okay. more dumbed down than i was used to so it was actually a it was a pretty good like pretty good lesson uh again for me to play less like less is more and then some of the songs are straight up like kind of like suicidal style you know so nice. there's guitar solos and shredding and <laughs> jim minor jim minor played on it too um, yeah that's right so yeah, it was really cool. So that will be interesting to see if we're able to like pull anything together, you know, to do any shows or anything like that. Um, now, is, is everyone on the but, West Coast at this point? No, Steve lives in Pasadena, um, but Chris and Pukey live still back east. Okay. And uh, Jim lives up in San Jose. So yeah, no, no. Um, Jim would actually be in the band. I don't know. I think so. He played on the record. I'm not sure. Oh, i'm kind of cool. just it's cool i'm kind of just like letting letting that do what it wants because i don't have to like think about it you know like <laughs> i tracked at the drums and it's like okay just let me know whatever whatever you know you want to do so i'm not in the driver's seat at all um but steve seems really hyped up on it so it's it's been pretty cool um and i didn't i definitely if you asked me like 10 years ago if heckle would ever do anything i would say definitely not but um <laughs> we've all been friends all along you know and it's nothing yeah. there was no bad blood or anything it's just the guys were doing you know steve does like crazy work um and he's successful and you know i, I never thought like it would come back around <laughs> so well, you I, never I, feel know. Like, I feel like the pandemic affected everybody and it's in very different yeah. ways. And it's like, maybe he took it to like, all right, I don't know what he does. He's you just said he's successful. So I don't know what he does. He, but. he consults and he does, he does like cybersecurity stuff and 
and uh, ad ops type stuff and everything and works okay. for like startups. And yeah, I don't even understand. He's so smart. I don't even really understand <laughs> what he does. But. <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say with the pandemic so, and everything, it's kind of like you take, you take the things you love that kind of balance you out and you take stock of the world around you because literally everything changed and you get yeah. to a point where you're kind of like, man, I miss playing music. Yeah. People got nostalgic, I think. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and they also had more time than they would have had otherwise a lot in a lot of cases to, to write, you know, now here's a question for you. You use the word nostalgic. And I find that right now, these days, the past year or so, so many old bands have gotten back together and nostalgia is paying off big time. Um, (laughs) It's big business. huh? It's big business. How Mm -hmm. do you feel about nostalgia, even though you've never stopped? You know what I mean? Like you, you're, um, you're, you're playing in a band that you played in fuck, wait, 1997. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you never stopped. So you played in a bunch of other bands. So for them, it, it, it's potentially a nostalgia trip, but for you, you're just kind of yeah. like, I'm just hanging out with my friends. Yeah. For me, it's like, Oh, this is a really comfortable situation to like dip back into where I know I can play it. And I know I get along with the guys, but like you said, I've been doing it anyway. Um, I, I think for me, the nostalgic side for me has been like, I get nostalgic about like certain tours or shows I've done. Like lately, I've been posting some more um, live videos of, of some shows I've played. And I, I just decided to go through all this like uh, external hard drives I have from tours and stuff. And I'll be like, oh, that, yeah, we played that show with Refused and Rise Against in Germany in 2015 with Great Collapse. And it takes me watching the footage takes me back to that show and how amazing it was and how I may never play another show like that again. You know, it was like an arena. I think it was like 10,000 people. And at the time I felt like I had no business playing it because, you know, it was, we don't play arenas like none of my bands, but um, it was such a cool experience for a lot of reasons. Um, I've also never played to that many people who, who didn't know you at all. Like, Mm, yeah totally. uh, not even uh, maybe you know i'd say at one percent maybe knew us they were being polite and they're they seemed into it but they didn't they were feeling it out you know they didn't know us so that was like a really it felt so warm because there were so many people but then it felt so cold because they didn't know us <laughs> at the same time so, so it, uh yeah i've been i've been kind of going back to that stuff and and like i used the word when when i did the the death by stereo tours i was like wow i'm i'm in a little hotel room and you know in Europe with Ephraim again, rooming with them, you know, and it's, it's like, you go back to like, that's what I did for like almost seven years, 10 months a year. And yeah. at the time I wanted out, I couldn't wait to get out of it because I was so burned out. But that now I'm back in that same exact situation. It's like, we both have more gray hair and stuff, but it's almost <laughs> like nothing has changed at all. You know, we're, we're goofing around and talking about the same kind of stuff. So that's a really weird trip to take. Like, you know, because I mean, I hadn't, I think I did one show with them in uh, like 2015, I want to say in Orange County, but I hadn't played with them since like 2006 or seven. So it, it had been, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So um, it was really, yeah, that, that kind of stuff's really cool. It's like, wow, I'm old. Everything hurts more. I'm tired, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm literally playing the same songs I played. 15 years ago with half of the same guys in some of the same clubs. And that's like a really strange thing, you know, like 
it's really cool. But at the same time, it's like, wow, has that, have I even grown? Like here I am right <laughs> back to where I was. <laughs> well, that, that, that was it's, that was but it's like, you, I didn't want to be there then. And now I'm so stoked to be there. So it's like, you're experiencing it totally different for the first time, but it's the same exact uh, scenario. And that's, I've never had that happen before. It's really weird. So I was, I was going to say, be, because you left the project and kept going 15 years later, you go back and you're still playing the same venues and the still things. So, you know, is there same some songs, <laughs> same songs, there's some little thing in your head yeah. that's kind of like, I think I made the right choice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, in, yeah. In a lot of cases, the fewer people, you know, yeah. I didn't have any regrets and I, and I kind of went into it almost scared. Like, wow, am I going to like have so much fun that I'm regretting that I left? But I think the only reason I was back there and enjoying it was because I left, you know, I would have, it, like to put it in perspective, when when I was burning out at the end of of the DBS phase, I loved the guys to death. I loved the music, but shows were getting smaller, tensions were getting higher. It felt like every week a different member of the band was going to quit, and they had to be talked out of it. We were getting like yeah. shafted left and right by like industry people, and we were never the band I felt like that fit into anyone's like portfolio perfectly. It was mm-hmm. always a little bit outside, and and uh. And I think um, I remember when when I told Dan and Ephraim I was going to leave. You know, we had a whole bunch of stuff booked, and they were like, "Oh, we're surprised it took you this long. Like, oh, you've really? been miserable for like a couple years." You know, like because everybody would go out at night, and I would just go back to my hotel room and you know eat pizza by myself. And I remember the things we had booked. We had uh, we had Australia, New Zealand, South America, and one Europe tour. And I told them I would honor all our commitments that we had already booked, you know, so they wouldn't be stuck. Cause I knew it would take them a little while to find the right guy, um, musically anyway. And, um, and I remember being super pissed off and bummed that I had to do those tours where like they were in the most amazing places, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like Australia and New Zealand are like amazing. Like I want to go back so bad now and take my family and everything. But at the time I was like, I was half enjoying it, but I was like, uh, like I'm in New Zealand. I got to get these shows done so I can leave, you know? And it's like, how, how do you get to that point? You know, with such an amazing opportunity. That's like how jaded I got, you know? And yeah. thinking back on it now, I was like, wow, I was more unhappy than I thought. Cause that, that's an opportunity. Even myself now I would kill to do. And most yeah. kids would kill to do it that are trying to play drums. But like at the time I would have rather been anywhere else, you know? So um, I think that really speaks to like it being the right decision to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel so, like the way you're talking is you hated your job. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the more I depended on it, the more I hated it because it, at every turn, it's like this with anything. I'm sure you've experienced it a ton in your musical career. You're active and you've done a lot. And I think so many people make so many promises that fall through. And oh, yeah oh, you're going to get this record deal or you're going to get this tour or you're going to get sponsored by this shoe company. Like so many things happened that, that fell through that were so close to happening that like it just guts you when you're that passionate about it, mm. it guts you. And then people, for whatever reason, fewer people start coming to your shows and you're like, this last record went, was like the strongest in my opinion and less and less people are coming. Like, what are we doing wrong? And, you know, and it's like you start you start like freaking out and overthinking it. And then I think the stuff you end up writing, it, it becomes like, it, it becomes like not as strong automatically when you start trying to cater writing, to your writing crowd. thoughts. Yeah. yeah. When you're, yeah. 
and what what kind of bit us the hardest was a uh, you know we um we got this manager who was one of my best friends um till he passed away a few a couple of years ago but he was the manager of Mastodon and, and slayer and oh yeah we okay. we linked up with him a guy named nick john the sweetest best guy with no attitude that i've ever met in the business you know and awesome he he started putting us on metal tours and he's like you guys are pretty metal like i think i think metal fans will respond you know i remember we went out with mastodon for like over five weeks when they first got the warner brothers deal and uh the shows were pretty small um but their fans just they weren't buying it you know even themselves they themselves were like i don't really understand why we're on tour together you know besides the management wanting it and it's mm-hmm. like wow this is a weird fit and then we went out with Soulfly, same thing bands did not like us we went out with slipknot and it was like next thing you know we're alienating all our punk rock fans which yeah was what got us to where we were in the first place and then we're selling t-shirts for like $40 because we have to, you know? Yeah. So they're pissed off or not coming to our shows anymore. And then the new fans, there's this huge, huge new crop of metal fans that is such a huge scene, especially at that time, but they weren't buying it either. They're like, this fan's too melodic and they're playing like punk parts. So it's like we alienated our old crowd and we weren't getting picked up by the new crowd. And that's when things really started to get like, stressful and you know every week a different guy was going to quit and and it was just because of the outside pressures that were happening yeah totally. you know we didn't know what to do from there we we're like where do we go now we can't either win our old fans back or try to somehow find new fans somewhere else and uh that's kind of when i got disenchanted and it, it's not about the size of the shows or anything it just felt like i didn't know who we were anymore and i didn't know what direction we were going to go in and none of us did it's like yeah. we got caught in this metal core thing, which was new, which we were kind of doing, but we didn't even really know. And uh, yeah, so that's when it got weird. So, um, and I think like going out, like you said, we we saw each other on that Pennywise tour. I took the opportunity to work for Pennywise, and it, that was a whole new perspective too. I'm like, wow, like I'm I'm making better money than I ever made playing and staying in nice hotel rooms and getting like pizzas delivered to the bus every night and. And it's like, I was stoked, except I had to sit and watch Byron play every night and yeah. feel all that energy, but I wasn't playing. And that was killing me too. That's why I didn't continue on. I just, yeah. it it never worked for me. I was so like, I was so upset every night because I wanted to be playing, you know? Mm. Yeah, totally. But some people make that transition and do really well. Like, you know, working for a bigger band is a great way to, if you like touring, you like music, but it's a great way to make money. But um, you have to be okay with not playing. <laughs> well, that, that's my so. other thing, man. Like for me, all the frustration, all the hurry up and wait, all the external bullshit, everything yeah. goes away. As soon as you step on that stage, even if there's nobody yeah. in the crowd, you just need to get everything out. It and goes away for like just the duration of the set. And then it's exactly. Like, but, but, but the yeah. thing is I I've done roadieing before and I, I can't do it, man. I've, I've done it short term and yeah, you know, you, you sit in the fucking van, you load everything in, you wait, you get fed. And then there's no payoff. There's no payoff. <laughs> no. There's no payoff. <laughs> there's not, there's not. I mean, my payoff, I guess is like, I made friends with 
some great people, you know, like Randy, I got to know really well. And, um, it, it, it was, it was great to make friendships and stuff. And I sound checked most nights cause Byron, he's like, you know what you're, you know, it sounds good. You don't, I don't care. You know, like, <laughs> so I got to play a little bit, but like, it was like, I, I mean, I was almost like, I'd rather be sitting in an office somewhere doing something totally non-music related than being with my foot in music, but not getting to really get that payoff for why yeah. you do it. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. but a lot of my friends do real well, you know, and they, they just become like lifelong road guys. They go out, you know, a lot of guys up here, actually, um, a lot of like rise against crew is up here and, uh, some of the tenacious D guys. And it's like, they're happy, but they're, they're cool. with just touring their whole life and making decent money, but not, not ever playing. <laughs> so yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't have that in me. That's well, cause at, 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 I can't say I don't know how to say it in English. Abouts at the at the base of it, abouts the tut. Yeah, like at the yeah, base of it. The base. You're 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 a musician. You know what I mean. Yeah. You're, you're passionate for playing music, not just. A lot of people are passionate about enjoying the music and and having the music yeah. come to them, but you're more passionate about playing the music. You can appreciate yeah. all the other aspects of it. And right. I like writing and recording a lot too. And some people hate that aspect of it. You know, it's like they do it because they have to. I, I think, like you said, it's it's why you got into it in the first place. Like I wanted the money to come later when I was in LA and I was like, hey, a lot of my friends are buying houses from this now. Why am I not making money doing it? And, you know, I was paying my bills usually, <laughs> but I I never got into it for the money. I never picked drumming and thought oh someday like this could be a great career it was just more like it had this pull to it and this draw for me and this satisfaction i got out of it that i didn't get out of anything else and that's why i started when i was 10 and i have it's still the same exact scenario like you know i i still i just feel like i have to do it or else uh part of me is missing and i'm i'm not happy you know i'm not fulfilled so um, that's kind of what it turned into, you know, and someday if I made it my career, awesome. But I, you know, I kind of feel like that ship sailed and, and that was the wrong reason. To, that was the wrong way to be looking at it anyway, you know, in the first place. And it, it was a short time, but it happened, you know, I went through it and, yeah. you know, and, and everybody does, I think. And I think it also comes, you know, my mom used to be like, what are you doing? You're, you're 25, you're yeah, you're seeing the whole world and you have like us, you know, some fans that care about you, but like, what are you doing? You don't have insurance. Like you're getting married and like, how are you going to support your wife? I always had like that. She's very conservative new England. And I always had that like little devil on my shoulder, which just put even more pressure on me. Like, wow, if I'm, if I hit 30 and I haven't made it and bought a house, then I shouldn't be doing it. You know? Yeah. And I remember, I I remember when I met my mother-in-law, I was talking that way to her. I'm like, yeah, we're married now, you know, so I, I, I got to stop touring as much and blah, 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 and get a job. And she was like, why does it make you happy? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she like blew my mind. I was like, wait, like, I don't have to impress you. And like, you know, you're cool with it. Like just cause it makes me happy. And she's like, yeah, it makes you happy. You should do it. And that was like a game changer too. I remember that was right when we got married Our just the difference in, our two parents like was just, I never cared what my dad said anyway. So that, that didn't matter, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was like, 
that was another turning point. I was like, wait a minute. It just like, it derailed me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like that? I don't, I've been so programmed, you know, to yeah, absolutely think that like, what are you doing? She was never like, you're a piece of shit. Like, but she was always <laughs> just like, you can't be doing this forever. Like, you know, you need insurance and, and I yeah. get it. That's a, that's a parent's way to think. And that it's pretty sound advice really. But same time, it kind of curbed my passion a little bit for a little while. So. It sounds like this kind of duality between comparing yourself and you can't do, I mean, you have to, you do compare yourself if you're honest with other people and you're like, Hey, I'm, you do. This, yeah, you this do. guy has a house. I don't have a house or this guy, yeah. you know, is able to go on vacation. I can't go on vacation because I got to work and mm-hmm. internally. Okay. What, what is it that I need uh, to be happy? And, you know, going back to the family, if you're miserable, that kind of, and that transpires into your family life. Like you're your kids are not going to grow uh, and be creative and happy if you're miserable. Uh, right, right. I think happiness, like any other emotion, is contagious. Uh, so if I'm happy, yeah. then my son has a good chance of being happy. It's not a hundred percent. You're right, and they they have very quick, distinctive radar. Like if I'm in a yeah. pissy mood some morning. Like my daughters just won't come over to me and hang out. It's like they can sense it and they'll, they'll just start talking to my wife and it's like, well, that sucks. But if I come down in a good mood, they like get up on my lap and they're all stoked and like, Oh, what are we doing today? Like, it's pretty quick. Like it's pretty quick how it shakes out, I think. Um, But yeah, the parents, when, when my parents weren't putting pressure on me, I was putting more of it on myself, you know, but it's because I had that, I've always respected my mom so much and, you know, she, my dad left when I was like four. So it was kind of just like my mom and sister and I, and, um, I, that was always ringing in the back of my head always like, Oh, should I do this? Is it smart? Because I don't have benefits and like, <laughs> but the benefits were strong. They just weren't healthcare. They were like, I was traveling. I think I learned more traveling than I learned anywhere in school or jobs or anything like absolutely just watching, <laughs> watching all people live in different places and I remember a big, a big thing was one, the first time I went to Europe, seeing how people viewed America, like from another country without like the news telling you what it's supposed to be. It was like eye opening. I was like, wow, you guys think that I didn't even know. I never even thought about it, you know, cause Fox doesn't tell me that, you know, and <laughs> I think that was like, that was huge. And just learning how to like get along with people. And it, it, I find now, like, I can talk to almost anyone of any age, you know, if I'm on a train, if I'm at the airport, whatever, because of my travels, mm. like, Oh, you're from Montana. Cool. Like, have you ever been to this place? It's, it's awesome. Like it, it, it it's like this conduit where you can like relate to people and talk to them. And that's a, that's one thing I, I think is priceless about touring that you can't really get other, other places or other ways. You can't really be taught that, you know, yeah. it's, I'm sure, you know, you travel all the time. And, um, even, you know, even when I was in Vermont, having, having friends in Montreal and being able to go to Montreal, it's so, it's so like hugely different from Vermont at an hour and a half away. Like that was, I even learned a lot about even then, you know, just having like you guys as friends in a different country. Um, I think that's huge. And I, I wish all Americans could travel because, you know, I think a lot of the problems that are going on right now, it, like would be different if they yeah. could yeah. see through another person's vantage point, you know, and 
understand why people are doing what they're doing and everything and acting the way they're acting. I, I think that's a big learning thing, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's just, you, it's been a constant inner struggle, uh, this whole journey. And even now, like I, I am a lot more at peace, but there are days I wake up and I'm like, Oh man, you see all these tour announcements and you're like, Oh, I wish I was on that tour. Or I wish this and that. And it's like, then when I think about it and really get down to it, like I'm just schooling myself. Like I'm pretty happy waking up and having a coffee and hanging out with my kids. And then like looking forward to a tour that might be nine months away, you know, mm. it's just, I have to have that something to look forward to or even recording or writing or something coming out that I've recorded. It's like those little, those little like wins and benchmarks kind of like keep me fueled, you know? It's funny. That's one of the things I found the hardest about the pandemic. Um, in 2020, we were heading back out on the road. Like we had over a hundred shows booked in four continents. This and that for the first wow. time in a couple years. Yeah. Like 2020 was, we were back. Um, and then everything stopped. And so all the tours mm-hmm. got canceled, all the potential, like, you know, you wait and it's okay. We have to cancel those and you wait and you have to cancel those and you wait and you have to cancel those. And, for and the you don't first even know when you can be allowed to look forward to something because you don't even know when it's going to switch yeah. back on. So, so this is my issue. <laughs> I've always lived my life like tour. I would come home on a Sunday. Monday, I'd have found a job. Tuesday, I'd be at work. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I knew yeah. that I needed to make the money to recoup so I could leave again on tour two months later. You yeah. know? And this time I was home and I had nothing to look forward to. And, and it really hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, I've always been one similar to you. You work because you have something to look forward to musically yeah. or whatever, whatever. There's whatever. always a goal. Like always exactly. That you're working toward. Exactly. And this fucking pandemic, man, it just, it got me to a point where I just, I didn't know what to do anymore. I got so yeah. unmotivated. I wasn't writing. I wasn't doing anything. It's so discouraging. Like, yeah. Cause you could, you could be like, Oh man, I broke my arm. I can't tour for a year and a half, but in a year and a half I can tour and I can look forward to it. Yeah. This was like, Oh, I don't even know when you'll be able to like go to your mom's house without a mask. Like, yeah, it's so, it's so, it's so astounding. Like I think the effect it has on everybody's psyche and uh, my kids have been champs. Like, Hey, we're going to Fred Meyer. They just grabbed their masks. And like, I'm so impressed by that. They've like, they've adapted but i still feel horrible like every day they shouldn't even have to think about that as kids you know like that it sucks that they can't go to gymnastics or swimming or like um but to to them i think it's just the new normal for now they they don't know any different do they (laughs) no they're so fluid it's just like all right can we let me know when i can not wear a mask but like yeah i've seen it it really took a toll on a lot of my friends that you know, are obviously doing music full time. And I worry about everybody because for me, if if I didn't have like the furniture stuff or the kids, I probably would have gone insane. You know, I mean, I even struggle some days, but it's like, I've, for me, like the, the furniture stuff's been busier than ever this year. I don't know if people are sitting around, like looking at their houses and saying like, Oh, I hate our table. Like let's order a new one, you know, but a hundred percent. I've been like talking about it handle. Yeah, Tim yeah, and I were talking like, about a couple hours ago. <laughs> it's like people just have a lot of time to think, you know. And so I've that's been really keeping me busy. It's like I've shifted, but if I don't have something big to look forward to or work towards, like a big order or something, 
I get really in a rut quick. Like I'm very like driven yeah. and have to always be working on something like the next thing. It, that's the only way I feel happy. It's probably not healthy, but it's just what works for me. I it get it hundred percent, you know? And, uh, and I, I I'm fortunate. I feel fortunate to have my family and the kids and everything, like I said, but I can, I think it's why people are like shooting each other every day and road rage incidents and people just have no way to blow off steam. They're just like, yeah, yeah. They work all week and then they go home and sit. You can't really go to the bar, like, you know, whatever people do to blow off steam, like play basketball, whatever it is, they can't do it. And it's like, I think it's like, uh, it's like an experiment, you know, it's like, it's almost like being a prisoner. Yeah. You know, in your own home. And that, I I think that's like, that's been a really like kind of cool thing to watch. Like, wow, this is really affecting. And, and to me that the cool, I was talking to, do you guys know Greg Benick? He was in uh, trial, trial and stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's a friend of mine. We were work, we were trying to do a project for a while. It just he does a ton of outreach up. stuff like for houseless people. Yeah, now he is. Yeah. 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 We were talking about it. We had coffee one day and we're like, this is the first thing ever in our lifetimes that like affected everybody. It leveled the playing field. It's like Brad Pitt has to put on a mask when he goes to the grocery store, like just like I do. You know, all the people that are usually above everything else and all the other rules, it's like they're all suffering from the same thing. And I think as a, as a, you know, like the human race in one way that leveled the playing field, but then it caused, I think it also caused at the same time, all these tensions and, you know, all these problems that are happening. So it's, it's really weird. It should have like united us, but it, I feel like it almost divided us even more, you know, uh, unfortunately, that, I believe that's human nature. The, yeah, <clears throat> orange guy that we had as yes. a president, but, uh, we won't go into that whole scene, but like, <laughs> yeah, that 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 was the worst timing to have that guy hanging around it, it, that could have ever happened, I think. Yeah. But at least now, like, hopefully the worst of it's over with him and with this pandemic and uh, things can start to get better. That's the only, only way I, I see I, it. I have to believe they but, will. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I have to. It's it's. I'm, I'm starting to see announcements for tours for 2022. And yeah, I no longer have the pang that, like, Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't, I wonder if that's going to go through. Like I was talking to some friends of mine who make a living playing music out of Toronto and yeah. they had a European tour booked for September. Uh, Cause they had to cancel everything from 2020 moved it to September, 2021. And we're talking to the bass player a month ago. And I was like, so is that, I was kind of using them as my gauge, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so you think that's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. I was like, you think that's going to happen? And he's like, we're waiting till June. We're going to see. He's like, I really hope it does. I'm not super hopeful, but fingers crossed. And like two yeah. weeks ago, he sent me a message. He's like, sorry, dude. And then he sent me the poster and I started seeing it all over social media. They pushed the tour back to April, 2022. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. yeah. And then it's going to be like, it's going to be a thing of like, Oh, I can't believe that band's going to tour already. Like that's not safe. You know, there'll be all that judgment happening. Like, you know what I mean? But, but I think, uh, I think it's getting better. I got, we got our two shots already. I'm like, um, I got my second one a week ago. And to me, it was like the gateway to like, hopefully being able to play shows again. (laughs) Like, I was like, I was like, this is like the first step or the first, the first sign of hope. I felt in like a very long time and I know it doesn't solve everything, but at least it's something like it's been the first thing I've been able to do besides wear a mask and not hang out at parties, you know, to, 
yeah. feel like you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. And um, I think music will come back around. I, I've seen a lot of announcements too. And um, like those two jam band shows I'm playing, they're both like outdoor gigs, kind of like state fair style. So that's, that's awesome. the reason those are able to happen. I think I'm take, I'm playing it by ear. Um, but yeah, and it, it's been hard too. It's just like, I had a friend that wanted me to play in his record and he was kind of, hitting me up, hitting me up, hitting me up. And I was like, dude, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to be a prude, but I just don't feel comfortable to fly to LA and rehearse with you in a little room for a week. You know, I'm sure you're fine, but like I have kids and I I had to like turn it down and watch someone else record it when I really wanted to, you know, mm. but like it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I got to put my family first and what I think is safe first, you know, and I know everybody has a different opinion. Um, and uh, I, that's been tough. But now he's talking about doing shows like Fest in October. And like he has a little run in Hawaii in January. And I was like, Hell I'd yeah. like to say yes. Count me in if if count me in. But I can't guarantee because I don't know what the world's going to be doing. You know, it's it's really yeah. weird to even like commit to stuff. So. Well, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I, I want to talk about something positive and then we can end this because I don't want to end on like. <laughs> you know, a COVID-19 thing. Yeah. Um, are you, are you guys still in lockdown, on lockdown there? Like, you have one more week. Up the borders? Yeah. Oh, really? We have oh, no, one no, more week, but we have curfew. Uh, so meaning that you can't get out of your house really? Uh, really? after 8.30 or 9.30, 9.30 in Montreal. And curfew is being lifted next week and we're able to see people next week on Friday up to eight people. Outside. Uh, wow. Outside. Outside. Yeah. Oh, Okay. And I think wow. restaurants are reopening and yeah, there's a whole kind of opening up now that we have over, I think we have Canada decided to vaccinate uh, one dose as many people as possible and then push to, to 16 weeks, the second dose. Oh. So we yeah. have something like 50% of the population that's already vaccinated with one dose. Oh, they're going four months in between. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They're they, taking the gamble. Ours was Ours was two weeks and then they pushed it to, I waited like three and a half in between. I think they pushed it. Um, but they just opened it up to kind of like everyone, I guess over 12. Mm. Uh, that was the one advantage I had being like just hit, having turned 45. I was in like a different bracket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, I was like, sweet, I can book my appointment now. But, um, yeah, I, I know I talked to another friend in Toronto and he was saying he's like going out of his mind because he can't really like, go anywhere and uh, but that's probably smart you know like i mean you gotta think it, it sucks but it's probably like for the better you know well you wouldn't want to be in those government position making those decisions i'm glad that other people mm -hmm. are doing it for me because i couldn't do it because yeah anyway you slice it people are gonna be mad at you you know yeah exactly exactly that's the, that's the tough thing i wouldn't want to be in it either it's horrible but um yeah so anyway sorry that was the last no. thing I wanted to ask about that <laughs> topic. Don't apologize. Yeah, I'm pissed at you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, all right. I know you've got some stuff coming up musically. Uh, really quickly, what prompted, and this has nothing to do with music at all, what prompted the furniture yeah. business? That was, again, just when I moved to Oregon, um, I used to build a lot of skate ramps and I build random things when I lived in Connecticut. I always liked it. My grandfather was a carpenter and built his own house and he used to do projects with me. So I was enjoyed it. Um, but when I came up here and the first, you know, I'd say the first year I really didn't have any 
much music stuff happening. Um, I was just working on my house and that kind of thing. We needed like a dining table and we couldn't find any we liked or when we did, they were like, you know, five grand. So I just made one and it was kind of a mess. Um, and I met this other guy, I met this other guy, Andy at the time, who was, who was a machinist and, and knew how to weld a little bit. I met him at a show and he's like, Hey, I'll help you out. You know, wrap the table in metal. And that was kind of what became slab rats. Um, he, he, we both designed, he did a lot of the welding up at first. I did more of the woodwork. Then we started kind of like cross training each other, you know? Nice. Um, and we're like really good friends still. Uh, but th- this past, um, last year we started having friction because I wanted to kind of take the company to another level and, and grow it and promote it and stuff. But it was like all kind of under the table side work at the time. And he didn't have the bandwidth. He was getting married. He has a pretty crazy demanding job. And so uh, I said, okay, is it, you know, he's like, I'm going to bow out and let you do your thing. And I was like, well, this is going to be different than slab rats. So I'm going to just start a whole new LLC above board you know, on paper, built a new website, did all that. And, uh, and just, I, I put together a new shop. It's only like 420 square feet, but it's, it's big enough to house everything I need. And, you know, I can work on like one or two things at a time. Uh, and I just started going for it, but it, it, it was, it originally started just as a different way to a different outlet for the, the, the creative energy I was feeling that I couldn't get out in music at the time slash, yeah there was a necessity for some furniture pieces that we needed when we bought our house and didn't really have like the budget for. So started, started building. And then I just, I learned that like I was really passionate about it and I started absorbing everything I could about it. Um, watching videos, talking to other people, um, making mistakes, you know, I made a ton of mistakes and still do sometimes. And, um, I think that's just, it's the same with music, just the way you grow. And, um, I think to to get decent at something, you just have to have that drive where you're trying to soak in as much information as you can about it at all times and yeah, and do it. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. I do all commissioned stuff. Um, I've been fortunate to have a few clients that have ordered like multiple times. So it's like really comfortable. I know kind of their budget ranges and what they like. And um, I've been building a lot of like conference tables, dining tables, uh, nightstands, desks, all that, kinds of that stuff record like that. player thing you made was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That, that was for a friend of mine, Jason, that, um, he was in the music business and is also a good drummer, um, in LA. And he recently moved up to Tacoma. He has a daughter and he kind of like quote unquote retired, you know, from LA and moved up here too. And that was something we kind of conceived. I drew it out and we kind of like the concept was kind of both of us working on that. And I was trying to keep the cost really low. So that was like a whole nother angle where, you know, trying to make it look sweet and have what it needed without like crazy wood costs and stuff. Um, But uh, yeah, I like to work with a lot of walnut and maple mostly. Um, The stuff I'm doing right now is pine which has been interesting, the stuff for Bend. Um, I'm doing like six nightstands, a dining table, and a bench. And uh, that's for the guy I'm playing those shows with. Um, so okay. I'm trying to get it kind of done before I head out for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just, it became like, it, it was just a way to create things and have that source of satisfaction that you get from writing and recording and like records coming out that you played on and 
Um, it started as that and it grew just, it, it just, I just got stoked on it and I started like kind of improving, you know, as I went, I started, I guess like, geez, probably like seven years ago. Um, and, uh, I'm still learning every day, you know, like that's one of those things you could do your whole life and not just yeah. like drumming, not be as good as you want to be. And you, or you see people do things better than you. And I try to just use everything I see instead of getting like jealous I use it as inspiration. Like, wow, that's a really cool idea. Maybe I can like build off that, you know, not copy something, but mm. um, that's why everything I do is just commissioned. I try to, I try to assess what people's needs are and what their budget is. And then we kind of go from there and we kind of create it like together, which is really fun. Some people don't want to, they're like, I need a desk with these dimensions. What can I get for like this price range? You know? And it's like really straightforward, but other people like to kind of be involved in the, in the process. So that's kind of, that's kind of the part I like the most, like kind of the creative process. Yeah, totally. More so than like sanding and sweating my balls off for eight <laughs> hours out in the shed, you know, collaborative right. creativity, same thing. Yeah, you, you, know, you, you build, you build things like you get yep. it. I'm sure it, Absolutely. It, there's like, there, there are parallels you can draw, you know, between I I've actually met a few drummers up here that are, that are furniture built like woodworkers. So there must be something about the parallels between the two that, is a thing because uh, there's a lot of dudes up here that build furniture with like tattoos on their hands and like they're in bands. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just cause they're in Portland or because there's something, there's some like kind of correlation between the two things. But well, I feel like um, if you find enough of these drummers and you, one of you gets a laugh, you're going to start making your own drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That saves some money. <laughs> um, yeah and the, the other the other thing i'll say too about portland it's kind of a mess right now but i found like an overwhelming like uh surge or like um source of inspiration up here and in creative juice there like every it, it seems like everyone i cross paths with up here does something makes something and there's sort of kind of like this this like um resurgence of like handmade handcrafted i i think things in in at least in the united states people mm -hmm. are like taking pride in it and people are willing to pay more for that and i i find that really interesting like i thought about even trying to do like a documentary on it because up here it's like everyone you run across they they they'd rather like create something of their own than go buy it and i i think that kind of rubbed off on me too because la is like aside from music it's probably the least creative place I've ever been. You know, it's mm, like yeah. everyone wants like the homogenized <clears throat> thing that's hot right then and they'll pay whatever money they need to get it up here. It's like people are really stoked on, on like, you know, making their own stuff. And I think that that definitely it's, it's created a nice like nest to like grow in and, and develop this company and feel comfortable, you know, like, everything's not going to be perfect right off the bat, but it's like, you're figuring out as you go. And, and it's more so like you're putting in the time and the attention to detail that you wouldn't get if you bought something in a store, you know? Yeah. Totally. People are like appreciative of that, of that, I think, and are willing to like, they're willing to not only wait longer for the piece, but they'll pay more for it than they could get it for in the store. And that that's mm -hmm. been really like uh, a helpful element, you know? Cause I don't even really advertise or anything. It's, it's been mostly like word of mouth or repeat customers or, you know, sometimes people see something on Facebook or whatever and like, Oh, I've been meaning to ask you, I want to do something, this project. So it's been like, it's been pretty cool. Um, I've been fortunate that way. 
but it, just like music i've i've purposely everyone always asks me right away like oh do you think you could live off that is that something you want to do full-time and i think i probably could but it would be such a grind and a, and yeah. a hustle i i think it would take all the magic out of it for me just like music like if that's how i had to pay my bills i would start to like resent it yeah so yeah. i'm cool i'm cool with it being like a super busy side business and a grind and at times it's really stressful trying to meet deadlines and stuff but at the same time it's not the way like i feed my family so i i kind of think that keeps it special <laughs> so yeah totally man. i don't know yeah, yeah I'm, it's about protecting it's those loves right because if you turn yeah, them into a job and turn them into then at one point you are going to get bored or you are going to get jaded yeah and i don't want to mass produce like 15 tables at a time i'd have to get a much bigger space and i'd have to you know mass produce stuff and i, I think that the fun part for me is every almost every piece is different and that allows you to keep that creative flow going and uh and not hate what you're doing you know yeah, yeah totally. but it might be a mistake it would be cool to be just your own boss but i mean maybe someday i like to think of it more like when i retire one day i could like ramp it up a little bit and and do it more and i'll be way better at it by then you know too but yeah. <laughs> I and i mean know. you're so. I mean, it'll be hard because when you retire you'll be playing in all those like tom petty tribute bands yeah bar bands <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. that'll be where your exactly. speed's at yeah the, the wallflowers cover band yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i want to think all of us will be playing until the day we die or else like we've done something wrong, you know, you included, like, even if it's like a jazz band, whatever it is, I just hope that I can play and avoid like, uh, you know, keep my mind off the sore joints and stuff long enough to, <laughs> to do it when I'm like 70. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm recording a solo record sure. in August out in BC. And, uh, Oh really? Yeah. Once, once that record takes off and I get really popular, I'll call you and you can be like my, half comatose drummer like rad what <laughs> what um uh, is it similar stuff to what you're doing uh sort of um cool. i'll tell you i'll tell you when the interview's over when the podcast yeah over. i tried speaking of that i tried the, the the last tour i did with great collapse we had a guy in czech republic named yara who i became really good friends with and he also worked for Northcote when he, whenever he's in Europe. Oh, cool. Nice. And I started being like, oh man, I love Northcote. What's he like? He's awesome. And like, he's, he's friends with them. So he hit me up. He's like, Hey, I, I got this guy, Todd, you need to like jam with him. Like, I love both you guys, whatever. And it became this funny thing. Like I was courting him, you know? <laughs> and finally, I, finally I met him. I met him at a show and he's like, oh, you're Todd. No way. Like, dude, Matt's and, so nice. Yeah, he finally was just like, I don't really like, I don't really have a need for, I have a drummer I play with. And like, he was so nice, but he was kind of like, I really don't need you right now, you know? But like, <laughs> I was like, I know someday we're going to do something. Like, <laughs> I was, I was like trying to force my way into his project just because like, I think he's got an amazing voice. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't work out. But it was like a funny scenario. Like, someone in Czech Republic's trying to connect me with someone in, in Victoria, Victoria. they live sort of in the Pacific Northwest, you know, like, yeah. That's uh, amazing. but where are you recording uh, in Vancouver? Or in Vancouver. Yeah. Oh, should swing down. It's like Vancouver, a seven hour drive. <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Dude. I love you. I would totally come down. If I, if, if the borders open, I, I actually thought about it. Oh, they'll open up by August. Yeah. yeah. The, the only thing is having those two doses. 
I don't get oh, my second yeah. dose until the week after I come back. Yeah. That's oh, really? Yeah. Is it pretty easy to get appointments and stuff? It, it's as getting there as, now. as long as you're spaced out, as long as you're supposed to be. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. It, it was tough here. I had like four browsers open and I was like, they had this system. I felt like it was like a lottery. You could try for different times at different locations. And I finally just trying to started trying to take the shittiest times on the shittiest days at the shittiest locations. And that's how I drove out to like Portland airport on like a Sunday morning to get mine. <laughs> so I was like, that's the only thing I could get, you know, it was like a drive through thing and they had it really organized, but it was like, I was so determined, you know, and then my wife logged on and got an appointment like right away closer. I was like, son of a bitch. So maybe you weren't meant to work with computers, Todd. You made a career out of it. Maybe you weren't meant to work with computers. <laughs> yeah, right. This was right. super inspirational, Todd. Oh, really? Thank I, you. I'm yeah, it really was. That. It's just that this, you know, how you so openly talked about your the whole kind of you know, your whole process of where you are now uh, it was really inspirational and in how you just kind of are fully yourself. You know, you just, you realize this is who I am. And uh, I think I'm myself. I don't know. Like what I know of myself. Well, that's I all am. we can. <laughs> <laughs> like, there might be other parts of self I discover later, but um, yeah, I'm glad I, I was kind of thinking like, how would anyone care what I need to say about anything? You know, like, I know parts of my journey that I find interesting, but I don't know if anyone else would, you know, but if it, if it can help anybody, like I'm sure there are people struggling with those same decisions and yeah. trials and tribulations that I've gone through that hopefully it can shed some light, but I'm sure it, it, everyone's got to do their own path and, and like you say, I don't think way, you know? a lot of people talk about that. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's nice to hear, you know, just uh, the struggles and the cost and benefit of making these hard choices. And just, you know, the, I think, you know, to me, what was so inspirational in what you talked about was that sense of jadedness and that unhappiness. And what am I going to do about it? Like, and yeah. how do I let go? It's like, uh, how do I let go of something I really love, but Right now, I'm not happy in this in, in this space. Yeah, it's like a scenario of of energies and pressures creating a situation that's making you hate what you've loved doing most your whole life. That's, that, right. that's like yeah. the weirdest thing to run into because it's like I've never had to struggle with whether I like playing drums or not, but now I'm literally not enjoying it. Playing it in like places like New Zealand that are amazing, you know, I'm like how am I miserable right now? And then you start thinking something's wrong with you, you know? And That's it. It's not I just weird. It's really a, tough. Yeah. I had to take a step back. Like people think you, you can't really talk to anybody at the time. They, they would think you're crazy. Like, well, yeah. it must be nice. Like I'd like to be on tour in New Zealand. It's like, <laughs> well, it's not nice right now. It sucks, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and not only does it make you start not liking what you're playing in, it made me start not liking the guys I was touring with. And, and I did, I loved them. And I knew they yeah. were like my best friends, but I start, we started, you know, having problems over the, the dumbest, most trivial things. And it was just because of those pressures, you know, it had nothing to do with our personalities. And like I said, I'm, I'm working on a project right now with, with Ephraim that I chose to work with Ephraim. So it's like, not only do I like filling in on tours with death by stereo, but I'm even going beyond that. And, trying to do a new project with him. So I know that like any issues we had in, um, in the past were just because we were stuck in a van for 10 months and 
too many people or expecting too many things, you know, including ourselves, I think. So, um, it's definitely interesting, but I'm just, I'm happy. I got to say, I'm like, I'm humbled and I'm happy to, to have come out of it and be in this place now where I can play again, um, at some capacity and still do tours and things and make them work and, and reap the benefits that I might've missed the first time around, you know, like, um, you know, taking in all the experiences and the excitement and everything like through a new lens, I guess that I didn't see before, you know? Yeah. So that, that's like, I'm definitely thankful for that because it's something that I've always loved doing and I'll never stop loving to do. I don't think so. It's just a matter of finding the right people to work with and the right scenarios for the right reasons, I guess, you know? So, and, and I think now I can look at things for what they are. If someone says like, Hey, we're doing this show and we'll pay you this amount of money. Cool. Like you go into it with that, that framework's like, well, I'm, I'm really just playing this show for this, this money really. And cause it's drumming, but it might not be your favorite thing in the world to do. But then there are all these other things that I know I'm going to work on that have zero to do about money, you know, and yeah. it's just to play with people that I love. So, um, that's been kind of the cool thing I think now but there was a lot of cloudiness. <laughs> the lens was very fogged up for a lot of years. <laughs> so, uh, and, and Chris, I'm sure you've, you know, you've been in so many bands and situations and um, I know you've probably been through a lot of the same things, you know, yeah, I know it's absolutely. a delicate dance, like trying to work between tours and have those situations where you can, it's like an expensive habit, you know, but like, I, I do. That's the best you're getting. It. Yeah. And if you're getting like, if you're getting fulfillment out of it, it's worth every, every second of, of, uh, shit you have to go through, you know, for well, most it, people. it's, it's, it's kind of, I, my situation was kind of different because realistically I, the, the money was extremely secondary because it just wasn't uh-huh. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a hundred percent a labor of love, but at the same time, um, you know, like in the nineties, I mean, there was no money and we were on tour constantly and we would book way too many shows in way too few days with like ridiculous drives (laughs) in between. And you know, it's not like it was now there's no cell phones. There's no, there's no, um, pull up to a venue. You can't just be like, okay, where's a good place to eat vegan food? Where's a good, you know, know, you get there and you're like, okay, so what do we do now? I never made a cent in the nineties either. Like it was just, I was stoked if I didn't have to kick in out of my own bank account for like gas money, you know, or else the tour would be canceled. You know what I mean? That's like, (laughs) I totally, and we, we had dialers to use on, on pay phones. Absolutely. I I would like print out when computers came around, when I got to LA, I would print out directions on MapQuest and make a binder. (laughs) And if you got lost, you just had to like ask people, you know, it's yeah. like now, now people that are touring, have no clue like how convenient it is, or you don't have to walk around Europe and try to like motion to people that you're looking for an internet cafe. So you can like email yeah. your girlfriend, yeah. you just hop on your phone and it works. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, as, it, as I think a, that's definitely made it easier, Yeah, as but intense. it also has made it to where like everyone can tour now and yeah. nobody, nobody like, everyone wants to be huge instantly. I remember I was talking to Blasco from 
Ozzy and he was managing some bands and we took one of his bands called the banner on tour with us in Europe. And he called me and he was like, these kids like, don't feel like they should have to be in a van. And like, they think the shows are going to be huge right away. And it's, I'm like, that's just, I think the mentality, if you don't know any better, cause you've gone through the old way, I'll call it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that there's any other different way, you know, but like, yeah, we, we've done the other way. So it's like, man, when we started having like cell phones and laptops and stuff, I was like, wow, this is like, this is easy enough to do like Absolutely. for a while. So, <laughs> and, and the other thing is, is I've, I've taken, even on the tours, like 2016, I did a five week tour of Europe followed directly by a two week acoustic tour. You know what I mean? Like th- these are like still wow. long ass tours. That's um, really long to be over there. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, I also look at them, you know, we did a, um, a tour in mm-hmm. Mexico and Costa Rica. The whole tour was two weeks. We played six or seven shows in Mexico and then one show in Costa Rica. So the time in between, wow. we got to go to the beach. We got, got to hang out. Turcation. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I've, <laughs> I've learned to appreciate yeah. and love Turcation. Like the first yeah. time uh, my old band played uh, Costa Rica, Tebow came with us. We played with Face to Face. And um, awesome. How long were we there, Tebow? A week? A week. Yeah. And we, we played two shows, but we went to the beach. We went to like this, uh, we went to the mountain park in the middle of the city of San Jose. You know, it was just, it was rad. rad. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that does, that's kind of how New Zealand was. We had like four shows, but we were there for like a week. And, uh, I started kind of trying to make mental notes like, okay, where do I want to take my wife to on vacation? You know, I took her to Costa Rica, our very first vacation, because I had played down there. Um, oh, yeah, but the same book, and I, I, by that same fashion, you you learn places you never really do want to go back to again. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think uh, that's a good point, you know, um, and that's, but you, you're cool with that because you know, you didn't go into it trying to get rich, but like, if a kid goes into it now and thinks like, Oh, I'm going to get huge right away. You know, it's like, they're not going to appreciate those moments. They're going to be like, I, cause I used to think the same thing. There were times in Europe. I was like, I'm, I've been over there maybe probably like 12 or 13 tours. I'm guessing. And like, there were times where I, I would just sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon and not leave the bus because I'd be like, I'll just walk around and see the church next time I'm here. Like I got that jaded, you know, where now it's like, I wake up at like seven. I'm like, let's go. Where are we walking to? I want to take pictures. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, absolutely. It's a whole new, like it's a whole new approach, um, which I'm thankful to have gotten back to because you never mm. know if you will, you know, when you're that bitter. Yeah. So, um, and most of it was my own fault. You know, I'm not blaming anybody else. It was just my journey and where I got to mentally, you know, and what I went into it expecting, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's because so, you put in the work that you got to a, a certain level. You know, let's be honest. In the early 2000s, you were in a band that was on Epitaph. So because yeah. of where we came from, you're like, oh, my God, dude, I'm on Epitaph. Like, holy yeah. shit. And then, well, that was like, and that was like a huge benchmark for me. Because like, that was at a time my favorite label. And like, I was like, okay. Because I, I always said, I just want to make enough money to be able to tour full time. I, I would work in between. But like for the most part tour full time and be okay. And that's kind of like where we got. Um, but then at a certain point you're like, well, I'm tired. Like we're touring. We might have two months off a year, you know, and I'm tired. And like, 
you know, you, you feel like when the other thing I struggled with was like all my best friends that weren't in music. When you leave on tour for like, you know, a round of like four months or something and you come back, you almost feel like expect everything to be the same, like where you left off, but it's not like no people forge relationships. They get married. You, you, I missed like, I missed my best friend, Eric's wedding because I was gone, you know? So it's like, you kind of, uh, that was always weird for me because you're doing the same thing all the time and circling to a lot of the same places. You come home and you're like, Oh, this is going to be the same, but it's like, everybody's kind of moved on. Yeah. Like nothing waits for you. And I think that's one of the weird mental parts of touring. It's like, you're out doing all this great stuff, but I always used to get really depressed. Like the first few days I was home because it's like, Oh, all my friends are at work and like, there's no one to hang out with. There's no stimulation. You go to have them like, you're going from constant stimulation to like, no one to talk to. Um, yeah. and that's, that was, that was kind of hard too. I think, um, I don't know if everybody deals with that, but that was hard for me for sure. And there's so much like, um, it's like you're running on adrenaline the whole time and then you come home and it all stops and you're just like, Oh, like I'm sitting here by myself. There's nothing going on. I have to wait like two months till the next tour or whatever. And your bandmates don't want to do anything with you because they were just with you for the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you're just sitting there by yourself. I would usually go have lunch at like Epitaph and I'd go have lunch at Vans and like, I just make the rounds. Cause like those are the only people, you know, that could take time to have lunch with me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I started hiking a lot because you could do that by yourself and it doesn't look that weird in LA, but uh, yeah, it, it was weird. That's, that was a really like those ups and downs for me were really weird. And I remember when I got married the last, the last year of touring, I think I took like 62 flights. I counted and I was sick all the time. I always had like sinus infections. And I remember I would just get home from tour, leave my suitcase on the floor, wash my clothes, put them back in. And I would fly to Calgary and Hmm. hang out with my wife. And it was like, then she would, she would work all day because she had like three jobs. So I was sitting in Calgary by myself, which was like no different. Except I got to Cold. see her at night, you know? Yeah. So it was like, well, shit, this is, this is rad, but I'm just still, I'm still traveling and I'm still like alone all day, you know? And that was just kind of like, that was the weird part of it. There's no normalcy or like, like your routine and what you find is normal on tour isn't normal for anyone else. So like, not only do people not relate that well, but when you try to come back into everyone else's routine, it, it doesn't feel like you can't really because, no. you know, you're not part of the normal world, you know? No, which 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 leads so. me to think that maybe there's a part of it that's personality, but just a part of it that's like habit where you have to stay busy. So you have two jobs plus a side hustle, plus two bands, plus a wife, plus <laughs> two kids. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just there's something in your brain that needs to keep going. Yeah. And then I, I get so, it. Yeah. I'm really bad at sitting around because then I start like overthinking things and yeah. then if I don't keep myself distracted or, or like motivated, I'm just kind of like, I start thinking too much and then I just get like, you know, in a rut. So I just, I think everybody's different, but that's what I've learned in 45 years works the best for me is to always be like overdriven probably. And I know I stress some people out, but it's like, that's the only way I feel sort of content and happy. So I just have to kind of go with it, you know? Uh, you know, Nike didn't make billions with a a logo and a slogan that said "just think it." It was just <laughs> <laughs> just sit around. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> life is meant to be lived and doing things. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm not doing anything exciting. It's more, it's just like, it could be anything like, Oh, I'm going to go weed whack for an hour. Or I'm going to go like take the trash. I just have to like be busy, I guess. I get it. Um, or I, I feel like I'm wasting my life otherwise, you know, and that's kind of not healthy, but it's, it's healthy for me, I guess. I like going to the botanical oh. gardens and seeing things bloom. Like that's what 45 yeah. is about, you know, and then yeah. it's exciting and to you me. you go with it, right? Yeah. You have to go with it because yeah. everybody's different. What, yeah. what makes people content. But my wife is better at like, you know, I drive some people nuts because I just don't, I don't really sit around. Like if I have a down day when I'm exhausted and I sit around for like half the day, I just, I feel like a piece of shit. Like, well, I just wasted all that time. Mm. But you got to find some kind of balance. Yeah, you're resting. Like you're not really wasting time, but that's how I always feel, you know? And again, it's just, it's those pressures you put on yourself that make no sense to anyone else. Yeah. But (laughs) make you tick, I guess. (laughs) That's that's kind of the premise of the show. You know, it's, it's what makes everyone tick and gets them to do, makes them do what they do. However, whatever it is they do. It's interesting, I think. So you're are you guys dipping into music sometimes, but then other times it's like zero to do with music? Well, so whole, our, or so far, all of our guests have been like the initial encounter was music. Okay. But some yeah. some of them veered off. Like we we had one with a a really good, really well respected sound engineer. The other one was a struggling filmmaker. Uh, the other cool. one is um, she's kind a of a jack manager. of all trades. Yeah, she's a tour manager, merch manager, um, logistics manager for festivals. <clears throat> wow, you know what I mean? That's uh, a hard. That's a hard job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she like yeah. she is so even keeled. It's awesome. That's awesome. But, but that's what I mean. Some of some people are made for that gig, like drum teching or tour managing, or right? it's like there's a certain person that you need to, to be good at that and want to be on tour all year and remain calm in all situations. Yeah. I think, you know, and it, yeah. I think you either kind of have that or you don't in, in you. Yeah. I don't have it in me. I don't either. <laughs> I free, I'd freak out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's just a lot of pressure. You know? Why aren't you awake? Get come. on the bus. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I've been the band dad at times, but it's different, you know? Yeah. We kind of had like two of us, you know, doing that instead of like it having to be me, but <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Well, hopefully everything can get back to, to normal. Like, I, and that's the one thing I've missed is not seeing my friends as much. Cause I'm not really like going to shows or playing shows or traveling. Yeah, totally. or, that's, Same. that's like, I kind of depend on that for seeing my my long distance friends <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or even having people travel through town that are just traveling through town. So yeah. um, I kind of hope things get back to normal, even, even for that, not even as much for shows, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I but, totally. And, and the thing is, I'm, I'm not starting another discussion. I'm, I'm going to try and wrap this up, but you know, the friendships that we forge as touring musicians, you yeah. know, you can have a friend halfway across the world that you don't see for 10 years. And then yeah. just be like, hey, I'm going to be in your town. And it's like, yeah, sweet, come exactly. stay at my house. We'll, I'll cook a big dinner. We'll do something fun. Yeah, you like know? we hung out We hung out here last time, I remember, and it was awesome. But it, it never feels different. Yeah, like, and 
you want to say I, I met what I met you when I was like 18, I guess. And you were probably, <laughs> well, 17, I'm, I'm not as old as you guys. I'll be 45 in September. <laughs> yeah. You're the young one. Yeah, so, so you weren't even of age to, to <laughs> you were 17. <laughs> like I, and it, it's like still the same. It was the same whenever you came to LA and it was the same when you stayed with me here. And that's like, that's what I think so special. Like the kind of friends you make traveling and touring is like unlike any other, you know, it's yep. like you just, you get, you get the situation you get, you might not see each other, but like once every two or three years, but when you do, it's like, everything's totally normal. And as it should be, you know, for that short time you're hanging out. Yeah. And, and everything just kind of makes sense. Like it's Yeah. Just, there's a yeah. special bond. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Like I have no I idea. Imagine it's the same if you're in the military with people or something, but other than that, it's probably hard to understand, you know, yeah, yeah. like if you've done like tours and different wars and stuff, it, you probably forge pretty tight, like bonds, you know? Yeah. But, but I feel like the pressure is um, different in that situation. <laughs> yeah. It's under different, yeah. under different circumstances. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think like that, that's like probably the closest I could think to, you know, it's different from just like growing up and going to school with someone, you know, yeah, you absolutely. sometimes drift in different directions. I know like you're always going to be playing music and I'll always be playing music. And we'll always have that in common, you know, even if yeah. everything else changes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, luckily neither one of us change at all. So <laughs> we get better with age. <laughs> right, Tivo? You too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're seasoned. At 45, prostate exam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I got here like 20 years ago, but you know, it took me the full 45 years so far to you know what really bugs me? Things out. You know what really bugs me is when I was younger, someone my age would say, if you only knew, get wait till you get to be my age. And I was like, you don't yeah. know anything. Fuck and off. And you're like, they're full, you're full of shit. <laughs> exactly. I know I find myself saying a lot of things like that now. And I'm like, that's so cliche. That's been said to me my whole life, but it is totally true. See, I'm more, I'm embarrassed. It took there. me 45 years to get to where I am. I'm like, I'm not going to say, I'm like, God, yeah. you should realize these things when you're 25. I realized it when I'm 40. So. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm like a little late to the party. Yeah. I had kids late, everything else. But like, yeah, it's like, even the, the kid thing, I say it all the time to new parents. I'm like, oh, like the time goes by so fast. And like, everyone always says that, but it's so true. Like, yeah, it really is. Like, it's it, at times you feel like it's never going to go by. But then other times, you know, it's like, wow, how are they already this big? And, you know, you can talk and hang out and it's weird. But yeah, I, I'm like, I don't know if that's part of being old, but yeah, there's so many of those sayings. And you're like, damn, that, that person was right. <laughs> All I know it's annoying. Ago, I just could you can't understand till a certain point. It's like you don't have the capacity to to register what they're saying and yeah. trust that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> so they don't know they're old, they're adults, man. Yeah, what does this guy know? <laughs> like, oh yeah, they know. Yeah. All yeah, right, man. Well, probably think that in like 20 more years, too. Yeah, exactly. So we should start listening to people now. It'll never happen. <laughs> I wish it would. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. So all right. I just want to say thanks. And this was absolutely awesome. Yeah. I agree with Tebow. This was like super inspiring, really. Like, it's just, you're such a positive person. I love it. You oh, know? thank you. I, I hope so. I try not to bum people out, but <laughs> I try to take the brunt of that on myself. <laughs> and, then, and then try to teach people from everything I screwed up. But, you know, who knows? 
don't know anything. So. Well, thank you very much for being a guest. And yeah, I look forward to the next time we can hang out. Yeah, hopefully it's sooner than later. Let's yeah, hope. We'll see. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Hey. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for uh, chatting.